Hi, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to be talking with Austin Kopic and Kelly Surtees, who are here in Denver in the studio for the first time to record the forecast for December of 2019, where we're going to be looking at the astrology of the next few weeks. So this is episode uh, 332 of the Astrology Podcast, and we're recording it with a live audience of patrons who are joining us from all around the world through our live webinar format. Uh, so hey guys, thanks for joining me for this first time, I think, in person. First time in the studio, yeah. Together. Yeah, first time for the monthly. Yeah, yeah, we've never done a forecast, a monthly forecast. Although, ironically, not ironically, but interestingly, yeah. we discovered that um, we had elected this meeting in person this month for very close to the Venus-Jupiter conjunction in Sagittarius. And I don't know who was it you, Austin, or one of, or maybe you, somebody one of us yeah. noticed or remembered that actually the first episode, oh, the Austin. first forecast that we all got together and did for the very first time, which was kind of on a lark, was also during a Venus Jupiter conjunction in Leo several years ago. Yeah. So this is yeah. the trinal conjunction. Right. Because yes. it was also like late Leo. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the first time the three of us ever recorded, yeah, the monthly podcast was Venus Jupiter. Together, yeah, and, that, and you were staying here in Denver. Yeah, that this is the first time I've been back to Denver since then. So okay. Austin only comes to Denver on Venus Jupiter conjunctions yeah, right. and fire signs, <laughs> right? <laughs> no, well, we're going to change that. And I think that's a uh, that Venus Jupiter conjunction is uh, a particularly good marker because we didn't plan to do a three person podcast. You were going to do a thing with Kelly, yeah, and I was in town, and so you yep. asked if I would jump in. Yeah. And so in some ways, the accidental markers are more significant than if we had just chosen that. And yes. that was in what, like 2014, 2015? 2015? Okay. It was, I yeah, think? 15. It feels like. We should be able to check. I mean, 2015 feels like check. a million years ago. It yeah. really so, does. So it was right after, because you and I got together, Kelly, at Norwalk and had a lot of fun hanging out. And then we yeah. immediately came back and started recording podcasts together. And did a forecast episode together, and that was going to be the plan. But then the following month, Austin, you were in town for a tarot conference mm -hmm. right around that Venus Jupiter conjunction. And just July as Kelly and I were getting ready to record, we just on a lark decided to ask you if you wanted to join us because yeah. you happened to be there. Yep. And it was yep. a great thing. I think it worked out. Yeah, I think it's been good. Yes. <laughs> well, especially now that like a trine arrangement on where coming together in like a next level way in terms of doing some stuff in person, which we haven't had the chance to do okay. in the studio before. Yeah. yeah uh, it is literally- It's like it is growth and expansion. In many ways, a, a literal revisitation. Like I'm back for the first time. Yeah. yeah. And, and I like it because this is in my 11th house in Sagittarius. And so having my two friends fly <laughs> out uh, yes. to the studio and us hanging out this week. So um, we've recorded- couple podcast episodes already had a lot of fun. We have a couple more podcasts. We're going to do the year ahead forecast tomorrow, but today we need to do the forecast for December. So last month we tried a new format and we jumped right into the forecast and people really seemed to like that. Mm. Uh, so why don't we do that again here and do the forecast for like the next hour or so looking at the astrology of December and then we'll chat and do some other miscellaneous discussion topics in the second half once we get that out of the way. Okie doke. Perfect. All right. Let's jump into it. So I'm going to throw up first the planetary movements and planetary alignments for December from our yearly calendar, which I meant to say we actually I'm about to send the printer the final version of to get a calendar printed for 2020. Mm -hmm. So I will have those posters again this year, and I should be announcing that through the podcast really soon here. So you can find a, a link or more information about that on the podcast website. All right, so this, these are the major alignments for December. We've got right away at the very start of the month on the 2nd of December, 
Jupiter is leaving its home sign of Sagittarius and it's moving into Capricorn for most of the next year. Uh, then on the 9th, we've got Mercury moving into Sagittarius, a uh, full moon in Gemini on the 12th of December, Jupiter exactly trines Uranus on the 15th, Venus moves into Aquarius on the 20th, Saturn moves into Capricorn on the 23rd as it does just about every year, and then finally there is not just a new moon, but it's actually a solar eclipse that's taking place in Capricorn on the 26th of the month, uh, followed immediately after by Mercury ingressing into Capricorn on the 28th. And those are more or less that's the, the overview. Are there any major overview points that I'm leaving out here? No. No, no, that's fine. Okay, cool. Well, let's then get into it. One of the things we might mention, because we're recording this pretty much as Mercury is just stationed direct, mm -hmm. and we just finished the Mercury retrograde in Scorpio. Um, do you guys have any funny anecdotes or stories or insightful, useful things regarding that? Um, so the uh, kitchen appliances that we bought during the previous Mercury retrograde, which was in Cancer, gave us a lot of trouble during this subsequent Mercury retrograde in Scorpio. And yes, they were uh, almost all things that involved the usage of water. Yeah. Okay. Um, dishwasher, particularly. Yeah, uh, that's a pretty good one. I had the classic. So I left Tuesday morning, Belgium time, to fly out here. And, you know, Mars was at the end of Libra and Mercury was in station at that point. So I had the classic um, transport delays where the train was delayed and then I had to get off a stop earlier and wait. You know, I just had this this 90-minute trip took two and a half hours. So then I was stressing about getting my bag checked and getting to the airport in time. In the end, everything worked out, but there was a level of mental stress and aggravation because there were those classic transportation delays. Yeah, I had those on the, you know, because I also flew, you flew on, on the, Tuesday on, as well. Uh, still the direct station, right? Yeah. And the stationing planet isn't moving. No. And even though, you know, we can huzzah, it's the end of the Mercury retrograde, it's no longer moving backward, but you will find things have a hard time getting moving. Yeah. Because the planet's going to take a little bit to pick up speed. Um, but again, um, both fine for me. Yeah. But um, both of my flights were delayed 20 minutes, half an hour. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, for me, I, the Mercury retrograde was through my 10th house, and I ended up uh, working with a friend, Kat Rose Nelligan, who redesigned my consulting website for the first time in like five or six years, and also completely redesigned the Astrology Podcast website for the first time since it was launched in 2012. And that just went live a few days ago. Super exciting. Yeah. Oh, so that reminds me, I did have a oh, professional yeah. thing. Um, so I mentioned last time that I had accidentally um scheduled the rewriting of the second edition of 36 faces uh during that mercury retrograde and one of the things i discovered um when i sat down with the artist and i did timelines i was like there's no way this is coming out by christmas right so it'll be out you know first quarter but i, I had to i had to revise the you know the timeline the timeline for it that's right because sure. you had we're talking about that and i think i'd shared with our listeners like last month, maybe around the Mercury retrograde being in my ninth house and the issue around uh, being asked to come back to Canada for my citizenship oh, right. stuff. And so I've heard back oh, from yeah. them and that they're going to, uh, they've been, they've actually been really flexible and they're like, we're going to work around you. Just tell us when you can come next. So I think that's going to happen in January now instead of October. Nice. So 
Actually, that's kind of cool because your thing's going to first quarter next year as yeah, well. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's just yeah. delay and it's not like it's a, not a shocking thing. turn yeah. of affairs. It's, you know, Mercury often delays things. Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, so let me throw up the chart for right now. So this is the chart for now in our sort of election, half election, not really election for trying to record this episode, but let me throw up the transits for the start of December so we can start to get grounded in what the beginning of the month looks like. Yeah. All right, so here's December 1st around midday. And uh, here we can see Jupiter at the very tail end of Sagittarius. Mm. So we're saying goodbye to that transit. That's one of our major themes for this month, but also for the, the next year pretty much, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think we've we've said that in the past that December is sort of the start of the 2020 astrological influences. Mm-hmm. It's still technically a month in 2019, but the Jupiter changing signs is is setting us up for a dynamic we'll have until the end of 2020. Okay, um, so that's definitely one of the major things. And let me just animate that to see exactly when that goes in. Yeah, pretty much by December second. December second, yeah. So really, at the top of the month, that is one of the first. Big things that happens this month. Well, it's probably the first big thing. Yeah, I would say that's the thing with the longest reaches, reaching consequences. Yeah, and Jupiter is joining Venus, which is already there at eight degrees of Capricorn there on the second, and Saturn and Pluto, of course, later in the sign. Mm. So, yeah, should we talk a little bit first about? Should we talk about Jupiter and Capricorn, or I think we should. We we, we need to. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So there's a little bit of like almost. Uh, I don't know if it despair is the right word or anxiousness. I feel like a lot of people have been enjoying using Jupiter and Sagittarius for different things like like elections or just as a transit in general, Jupiter being its home sign. And now it's going into uh, Capricorn, which at least traditionally is sometimes associated with um, not being a great place for Jupiter. What do you guys say that's an accurate statement? It is not nearly as good a place as Sagittarius. Sure. Yes. Yeah, technically Jupiter is in fall in Capricorn, but I don't know that that is just a blanket bad kind of thing to mm-hmm. to take out there. There, you know, we've been looking at charts of people with Jupiter and Capricorn and things like that, and uh, some of them have really long lasting success in their fields. So there are things that Jupiter and Capricorn can still do, even though it is technically. Uh, Weak by sign, right? Well, and so, well, you should talk about fall. Like, do you read fall as weakness, or do you read it as results that do not accomplish the planet's, um, you know, the planet's goals, right? Because there's a different. You can have a planet that isn't doing what you want it to do. That's not a, you know, um, doing normal Jupiter stuff, but it's not necessarily weak. Like, you know, for example, Venus and Virgo, yeah. Um, it's a good distinction. Is very often very uh, difficult on the natives. Uh, Venus is in fall in Virgo, but will accomplish a fair amount of at least external Venus things, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So I, I see fall falls are literally a different category than exile or detriment, and yeah. um, it's n- I, I don't read it as just weak. Yeah, I think there's a lot of nuances to the quality of of Jupiter and Capricorn. It's going to be contained in its Jupiterian way, mm-hmm. but it is sort of supporting in some ways the qualities of Capricorn, that mm-hmm. idea of sustained yeah. effort or effort over time or effort that leads to long-lasting results. Um, and that's the the combination of the Jupiter Saturn vibe there. One mm-hmm. of the things that's one of the things I'm excited about is um, we've already been dealing with Saturn and Capricorn for what feels like a while, and and the heaviness of that long term two or three year transit 
And I feel like Jupiter and uh, to a lesser extent Venus joining Saturn this month, although that's certainly a shift um, in tone uh, from Jupiter and Sagittarius, at least might be balancing Saturn out a little bit more than it was previously or otherwise. Yeah, because it's not it's not even remotely just Jupiter and Capricorn. Right. It's you know it's Jupiter jo- joining a pretty packed house in Capricorn, and Venus is there for a lot of uh, December, but that's not you know that that goes away. It's a shorter term. It's, we'll, it's relevant to December. Yeah. yeah. Um, for a good chunk of the coming year, we'll have Jupiter and Capricorn with the South Node for the first half with Pluto for the whole thing and then with Saturn on and off. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the um the the trio of uh the Dragon's Tail and Saturn and Pluto and Capricorn has been consistently the biggest problem causer mm. um in charts, you know, for the last year or so. And um when Jupiter's in Sag, it was, you know, it was useful that it was in a totally different space. Mm-hmm. So if you're doing elections, you could hook things to Jupiter and not Saturn at and all. And not have to worry about it. And now um, you know, we have the 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 good and the bad are much more thoroughly mixed, which is useful in some ways, right? It's useful that Jupiter's trying to help what's going on in Capricorn, but that's gonna take up a lot of Jupiter's energy. Um, in terms of things, you know, if we talk about improving things or becoming more favorable, there are kind of two ways to do that. One is negating negatives and one is adding positives. Mm-hmm. Yes. Jupiter and Capricorn is going to be very concerned with negating negatives. Yeah. Whereas Jupiter and Sag was like, let's add this. What yes. if we did this? Let's all fly out to Denver. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. like that, that's adding a positive. That's totally. Because I think this is really key is that you've got to think about it from the perspective, you know, so Jupiter may not love being in Capricorn, but Saturn is certainly going to enjoy having a little bit of Jupiter there with him. Yeah. It's yeah. A very very powerful uh, uh, assistant to boss around. Right, exactly, exactly. So that there, I think to what you were sort of getting to before, Chris, we've had Saturn in Capricorn with Pluto for two years and we've had the South Node there since, I think it was November of- Last year, yeah. Last year, 2018. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is going to be a qualitative difference to that stuff once Jupiter steps in. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a good year for Saturn elections during certain parts of the year, especially when we can get a day chart and mm-hmm. creating like yeah. classically Saturnian type um, things. Uh, so, what would like symbolically be some good Saturn and Capricorn type things when they're positively reinforced, like things that are long lasting and have like strong foundations, or things that start off slowly or gradually, but eventually become very long-lasting and become uh, sort of fixed or permanent. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, or things with uh, a malefic intent, but uh, we don't need a like for that. Sure. Yeah. We'll do- but I, I do think, I mean, the idea, you know, I think of Saturn in Capricorn with building like a stone wall or, a, you know, something that is made of a very durable type of material that is going to take some crafting and some effort to establish the foundation or the base. But I think that's part of what, you know, if we're trying to get good Saturn elections out of this, Jupiter is going to help with longevity and potential for satisfaction over time. Yeah, definitely. Jupiter will serve Saturn um, in Capricorn. It it basically will, as you said, make the Saturn elections better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, But we wouldn't wouldn't turn 
turn the chart so that Capricorn is rising and then focus our, our efforts on Jupiter or focus our expectations on Jupiter. Right. Yeah. And we would look at how Jupiter can help with Saturnian things. So one thing to note about Dece Jupiter and Capricorn in December, two things. One, um, Jupiter will be in, it's basically its places, uh, it's, it's the portions of Capricorn where it does best. Uh, first decan is Jupiter ruled, and the the bound of Jupiter yeah, overlaps yeah. with um, with that first decan. Okay, so that's um, that's um, that's a, that's going to be a more functional Jupiter and Capricorn, where you can you know get Jupiter and you can get Jupiter stuff in a way that isn't going to be true later. Yeah, we also have um, you know again it's um, it sure it's Jupiter and Capricorn, but Jupiter is never alone in Capricorn. Um, and uh, we're never alone this year. Yeah. Right. Um, and so in terms of things that are relevant this month, um, we do have the interesting situation where we have both benefics, Venus and Jupiter, uh, hanging out with uh, Saturn, Pluto, Dragon Tail. Um, and we have uh, Jupiter gets very close to conjunction with the South Node for a lot yes. of the month, yeah. um, which is... Uh, an interesting combination in and of itself. That's the first slower moving thing that Saturn, that Jupiter conjoins in Capricorn. Yes. Uh, Jupiter will also be with the sun this month. Um, so Jupiter is in it. There is that, I guess, invisible quality to Jupiter. Right. One of the things I liked your, that you were saying, Kelly, was uh, Jupiter and Capricorn, and you were starting to say something that I was interpreting in my own mindset as like slow and incremental change. Yeah. Um, is like a good sort of keyword or phrase for I think Jupiter and Capricorn. Yeah, it's uh, like a slow, steady build. Right. Well, I think yeah. yeah, improvement through building, systematizing, uh, building systems for something you're already doing. It's not the um, in many cases it will not be the uh, utopian vision. It will be laying the bricks for the houses in the little village that you want to create. Yeah. Um, it, it'll, you know, uh, we were talking about this, this came up the other day, like, you know, it's like, you're doing all this stuff and maybe it's going well this year. And what would be great is not doing more stuff, but systematizing, um, yeah. the things that you're already doing. So it's more efficient. Um, there's a very strong, um, uh, material, um, uh, uh, material looking at the bones of things, looking at the, making sure the foundations aren't cracked with Jupiter in Capricorn. And this is part of the contradiction between the quality of Capricorn and the planetary nature of Jupiter. Mm. Jupiter naturally rises. It's, you know, it's yeah. hot, warm, moist air. Goes and up. naturally wants to go up. It naturally yeah. wants to get the 30,000 uh, foot view. Uh, and that can be frustrating for Jupiterian types um, because it's not the vision. It's literally the, you know, it's the labor. It's the, and I think labor is a really good word for Jupiter and Capricorn because it is that sense of the effort and the work. Uh, I'm hoping that we, many people have had a chance to tap into the vision this year, 2019, because I think that's part of the symbolic shift is we're mm -hmm. moving out of Jupiter and Sag. So you now have a picture or an image in your mind of what you'd like to build or create. And Jupiter and Capricorn is picking up the tools to actually then do that symbolically, whether that's planning or restructuring or what have you. Right. Uh, what were some of the, we started talking about natives of Jupiter and Capricorn 
Uh, do you guys remember some of the examples we were coming up with? Yeah, I have two favorites. Okay. Um, one is Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Um, who has a Jupiter and Capricorn conjunct the moon in the fourth house. Okay. In its uh, terms and face. And it rules his, that moon conjunct the Jupiter rules his 10th house. And he's literally like named a large earthen object. <laughs> okay. You know, he is um, reputed yeah. for his substantial quality. Mm-hmm. He's a very large man. And so obviously, I thought uh, I used him as an example in um, my year one class the other week. Uh, shout out to everybody who's there for that. Um, and what's interesting about that is that he shows the the issues with dignity that you would expect, but also that Jupiter and Capricorn is still Jupiter and a Jupiter-Moon conjunction is still a nice thing. Yeah. So with it being in his fourth, we look at family. Um, and he went in and the ruler, or excuse me, the moon, which is in the fourth, um, rules the 10th. And so he actually went into the family business, which was wrestling. Yeah. Right. And if we're talking about a lack of dignity, um, you know, it was um, family business was pretending to fight men in your underwear. Yes. That's right. right. It yeah. doesn't mean that yeah. that's not, it doesn't mean that he wasn't successful and that that's not a career, but, um, you know, that's kind of coming from the bottom. Yes. So I have another example. Actually, I'll, I'll, let me do my other example yeah, really quickly. Yeah. Um, so uh, RuPaul uh, is yeah. also a Jupiter in Capricorn. Also, you know, if we're talking about, um, you know, dignity in terms of society, right? Because that's yeah. actually all of the traditional metaphors for dignity are about place within a given society. Yeah. And the amount of resources you have at your disposal. Mm-hmm. Um, Ju- uh, RuPaul you know, doing drag in the seventies and eighties. Yeah. That was not um that was not an accepted thing. That was not it was some... not considered prestigious in society at the right. time. Um, yeah. But the making, you know, the making good on or making good with something that is considered, you know, D class A or lower, you know, lower caste oriented like wrestling in your underwear. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's super interesting. I realized that some of the examples that I really was drawn to speaking about are actually people who also have Saturn in Capricorn as well, which I thought was interesting given that we do have that rep- – that is part of the 2020 like, – well, and certainly for tw- for December now, we've got Jupiter and Saturn in Capricorn. Because mm-hmm. um, there was a period in 1961 that, that we had Jupiter and Saturn in Capricorn together. So um, Katie Lang, uh, the musician, has Jupiter and Saturn together in Capricorn in the fifth house. Oh, okay. So if you think about the, the sort of – a, a mournful kind of quality to their music that is still very evocative and, of course, having been very successful. Mm-hmm. And the other one is a sports uh, one. Quick Wayne, question. Yeah. Um, was, uh, when did, do you know at what age Katie Lang became successful? Was oh, it good later? question. Was it delayed by the heavy uh, Saturn? I shall. I don't know off the top of my head, but okay. give me well, one second. Not super important. Yeah, if, I don't you know off the top of my head. I do not know off the okay. top of my head. Um, the other uh, example I have is Wayne Gretzky, the uh, great Canadian hockey player, mm-hmm. um, who's actually considered to be one of the greatest hockey players of all time. He's known as the Great One. Yeah, I was going to ask what his nickname is. I remember this. Yeah, something. the Great One. Um, and he's a 1961 vintage as well with Jupiter and Saturn together in Capricorn in the 12th house, actually, with an Aquarius rising. Okay. Um, and he was famous very young. By the time he was 16, he was, mm. you know, already exceptional. Okay. So he didn't get the delay, actually. 
but he had the long lasting. Because I think that's key here is that one of the things I think Jupiter and Capricorn can give is this enduring, you know, when you can get into the doing the work or accessing the potential of it, it can give that long lasting or long lived. Like how many um, Fast and Furious movies has The Rock done? I, I, I've never seen one. <laughs> um, but I think what, they're up to like I, seven I, I, I think it's nine. a testament to him that I don't know if I've ever seen a movie that he's in and I never watched wrestling. Yeah. But I know who he is. Yeah. I know what he looks like. I know Absolutely. what he sounds like. He Everybody. Is. He's very tall. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's also wide. <laughs> he's wide. But that's, I mean, we have a-, a, a He's a substantial say, human saying. being. Yeah, we-, we so in my files, uh, what have you lo- got? Looking through, I don't have like a hugely extensive file, but my, I in my think files I saw one on the screen that I had that seen you like too. Yeah. So I've got like George Carlin. Uh, these are all Jupiter and Capricorns. Oh, that's, yeah. that's can we pause on that because that's really good because so Jupiter when Jupiter is in Saturn's house, there you often see uh, Jupiter in its own place will tend to be very very religious, very reverent. Yeah. Um, and so Jupiter and Capricorn will tend to be more skeptical, more irreverent. And that was the the very root of Carlin's comedy. Right. Mm. Or reference. Yes. Yeah. Sure. And the dryness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and he, yeah. He wasn't like a, a Jupiter avatar where he was like more warm and moist and welcoming. <laughs> no. Uh, so, the, so George Carlin, Johnny Carson is another one. Uh, that I've got with Jupiter and Capricorn with the moon conjunct that. Yeah. Uh, Paul Newman. Yes. Which is the one that you liked, Kelly? I liked, I mean, Paul Newman I have on my list, but did you <laughs> pill out Katy Perry? Yeah. Yeah. She's which is my, a younger. She's my time twin. Oh, uh, almost right. She's near on the time, bottom of your not list. Not a complete yeah. time twin, but she was born, what, like a week before me and in another life, I think. I could have been Katy Perry. You could have been. It had gone like slightly. <laughs> I think you chose wisely this time. I think. But I, I mean, I the other wonder. thing too, like a lot of my examples had that Jupiter and Capricorn in the third house for people who are writers or are known for communication in some way. And, and right. that's what Katy Perry has as well. And did you have Charles Lindbergh on your list as well? Uh, I do not, but that would be a good one. Yeah. he um, He's Jupiter and Saturn, but, you know, a previous iteration of that, but both in the third. Okay. Yeah. Cool. In Jupiter and Saturn in Cap. So, I mean, a, a lot of these individuals we've talked about have, you know, really had sustained. Well, we are also looking at people who are super successful. We true. That's true. I but mean, I mean, there is an in, there is a an endurance when when it works right, especially when, when it's it with when it's with its ruler, which is Saturn, which yeah. is the case this year. Yes. Well, that sure. that is that that is the unique iteration for the most part of. Yeah, of we just Jupiter. shouldn't shouldn't set set that expectation for everybody with Jupiter and Cap. True. Right. True. That's true. Uh, so other examples. Let's see. Uh, Paul Newman, Adolf Hitler, Richard Nixon, Gerald Ford, Malcolm X. That's a pretty good one. Margaret Thatcher. Um, Prince Harry. Yes, he has that in Capricorn in the first. Okay. Yeah. With uh, no Saturn there. He's just got Jupiter. Oh, yeah, you're right. So Capricorn rising, Jupiter is right there in the first whole sign house. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Who else? Robert Kennedy had Jupiter and Capricorn as well as a few other planets. Linda Goodman, famous uh, astrology book writer. Yeah. Uh, most potentially highest published astrology book of all time. Yeah, very successful. Uh, Ruben Hurricane Carter was a boxer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dwayne and Katy Perry. Yeah. And that is it. Yeah. All right. Um, and then, of course, I have Jupiter and Capricorn. Well, so I was like, having... we have our own version of Jupiter and Capricorn right here in the studio. Yeah. 
Uh, And I like, I mean, one of the things that that's why I was saying I liked what you're saying about slow and incremental change. So things like the podcast, for example, and thinking about where it started or thinking where we started with the forecast. Absolutely. And then just slowly changing one thing and trying to improve one tiny thing each time. Yeah. Every Uh, few months. yeah, Yeah. So that eventually it doesn't look like it's doing much at first, but then eventually over the course of many years, it can like build up and gain momentum and turn into something larger. Yeah. I would say generally speaking, um, if we can split Jupiter, Jupiter's positive significations into two, which I think we can, one being the, you know, the more spirit ones, the being able, like enthusiasm, creativity, um, you know, hope, um, vision, uh, meaning, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then success, you know, material su- yeah. success within the social and material world. Jupiter in Capricorn is just fine for success, um, you know, for success in the social and material worlds. Um, it's it it is harder um on the spirit. Yes. Uh, I think you definitely yeah. see the, the um, me- like a, a melancholy? Yeah, the traditional dignity. Um so if you think about Jupiter, so Jupiter's like trying to keep good spirits and is going through this earthy Saturnian terrain mm-hmm. and is under those rules. Um, you know, it's harder to um, you know, uh, stay in a good mood. It's harder to keep the to keep a big optimistic viewpoint. Yeah, we could argue that it's not realistic for Jupiter to do that when it's in Capricorn. It's not if we put ourselves in Jupiter's place. Well, because um, there is an anchoring to Jupiter in Capricorn, like what you're sort of saying that it, that underground or it's there's a, a weightiness to it that. It, Jupiter left to its own devices is not going to have like a pure Jupiter. Yeah, I would say that it's um, Jupiter's natural uh, essential tendency is to look up. Yeah. Um, in Capricorn, it has to look down because that's where the action is. Yeah. Um, in a piece that I found recently that I wrote twelve years ago about previous Jupiter in Capricorn, um, I paralleled it in terms of a spiritual practice with the uh, the Solomonic tradition of magic, where instead of looking up to angels, um, the, the root myth was how King Solomon bound all these pesky devils to build the temple of the Lord. It was still a holy purpose, but he yes. was dealing with lower um, and not, uh, by definition, uh, not holy mm-hmm. um, forces in order to, you know, in order to accomplish the Jupiterian work of building a temple. Yeah. So it's getting back into dealing with the material, tangible world in some way. Yeah, or even on a spiritual level, like spirits, but, you know, pesky. Pesky. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Um, And I think one of the underlying archetypes of Jupiter is just growth and the question of how do you grow Mm -hmm. in your life and what is your, your manner and your inclination towards growth when you have to expand in some area of your life? And that's a good question for everybody in terms of thinking about their Jupiter placement and what sign it's in. What are you guys again? What's yours, Kelly? Leo. Leo. Cancer. Cancer. Oh, right. Cancer. We're all different. I forgot we were opposing Jupiter signs. Yeah, I just realized that you guys were... I don't know why I just realized that. (laughs) Didn't put it together. Sure. Um, Well, the wet and the dry. But that could be part of the broader theme for certainly this month and starting to see... Because sometimes growth... And that's one of the things that people have trepidation about going into this month or some of the astrologers do is that growth slows down. Growth is not as rapid moving from Sagittarius, like a a masculine fire sign, uh, and going into uh, a Saturn-ruled sign where growth is going to be a little bit slower at, at the very least and just seeing the pace of things change a little bit over the course of the next month. 
Yeah, yeah. I, 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 so I, I would say growth is half of Jupiter. The other half is coherence. You know, you can expand to encompass more territory, but if what you've expanded into isn't coherent, mm. you know, then, um, then you lose all that. And, uh, co, uh, when you look at strongly Jupiterian natives, coherence is a huge thing. And so I would say in terms of, that divide between expanding your scope and then gaining coherence within the area, the realm you occupy. The Jupiter and Capricorn is way more uh, coherence-based and way less um, big expansion. Sure. Totally. Whereas I mean, Sag was, you know, yeah, go everywhere, try everything. Do, do all th the things. Yeah, do all the things. But now that you've been to those places, which ones do you keep? Which do you go back to? How do you, you know, how do you weave something? How do you find a balance between um, all of the positions you've occupied or places you've been? Absolutely. And I think uh, to your point, Chris, you know, Jupiter changing signs, if you're using a whole sign house system chart, Jupiter mm -hmm. is changing houses right. as well. Yeah. And it's moving into the Capricorn part of your chart, mm -hmm. which being ruled by a feminine sign is going to be a part of your chart that you're more naturally comfortable with a slower pace anyway. Mm -hmm. And so I think the key is to understand that Jupiter wants to help you grow in that Capricorn part of your chart, but to do it in that slow, measured uh, kind of way. Yeah, like what are your limitations tend to be more of Saturn's thing. Mm -hmm. And in a Capricorn sign, you know, we're all focused on growth for the past 12 months. And now with Jupiter moving into uh, a Capricorn, a Saturn ruled sign, it's slowing down because now there's starting to be more of a recognition of limitations and the limits not being sort of boundless, but mm. instead needing to grow within a certain fixed parameter of what is available to us right now yeah, and what can we actually make use of. It's very practical, really. Yeah. Well, it demands yeah. that we look at the practical parts of, um, yeah, consolidation, coherence. Yeah. Instead of just the, the optimism or the boundless like, optimism of Jupiter. Totally. And I think there is something here around quality, not quantity. So I think that's something to keep in mind. So quality, not quantity. That's a good yeah. that's a good phrase or keyword. Yeah. I don't I, think Jupiter and Sagittarius is anti-quality at all. Not I'm not I'm not necessarily saying that at all, but I think that particularly in Capricorn, there is this sense of we'll take less, but we would like it to be better or you know, we're willing to wait for the right thing or yeah. to take time to work towards that specific outcome. Or even how to do, how to make the most out of less. Yes. Uh, yeah. That, that definitely. Less available, but still learning how to, to maximize it and use it to its fullest extent. Yeah. yeah. Well, and a great example of that, like how do you get gains from deprivation, mm -hmm. right? Like eating less food for, I don't know, a lot of Americans, myself included, is actually a health gain. Yes. <laughs> Most of us do. Con well, you know, in in the the first world in the West, we consume far too many calories. Yeah, or yeah. Um, being quiet for a while. Yeah, if you live in a loud world, mm -hmm. um, which is a deprivation, it's a removal, uh, is actually um, a big gain in terms of <laughs> mental health, uh, internal coherence, stability, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and so you get a little bit of the you get a little bit of the accomplishing Jupiter by doing a Saturn. Yes. I think, yeah, and that's, so th the key, I guess, with looking at December is because this change is happening early in the month, it is a change in orientation, a change in perspective, a change in priorities. Yeah, definitely. And it's not just, because it's not just Jupiter moving into Capricorn 
Um, we've also got that eclipse, and I, I realize this is jumping ahead kind of to the end of the month, to the 26th, but just seeing that eclipse also taking place in Capricorn mm. is going to bring in the next turning point or the next uh, bookend, uh, the next chapter in whatever that series of eclipses is for you in each person's life that's been bouncing back and forth between Capricorn and Cancer for a while now. Yeah. When did the first of that series start again? It was <sighs> certainly like a year ago. It's well, about a. There was maybe like, mid twenty eight. No, there was like a kind of a bullshit eclipse um, <laughs> in the middle of twenty eighteen, where it's like maybe if you had a telescope, it was an eclipse. Yeah, um, yeah. The nodes went in Cancer. That was another one we were debating whether because it was slightly within the fifteen degree range. Yeah, in, but the first proper that people were like, "Oh shit!" You know, right. the sun is yeah. gone. Um, was uh, a year ago. Okay, yeah. so yeah. already people have been dealing with, and of course, Saturn's been in Capricorn for a while now. So people have been dealing with some of these Capricorn changes for quite a while, but this month is still pivotal and then it's going to mark some sort of turning point in that part of your chart, um, both in being a continuation of the changes that were already initiated by the eclipses happening there, at least starting a year ago, um, but now accelerating some of that with Jupiter, basically the largest planet in our solar system, moving into that same sign. and. Concentrating and intensification, intensifying some of the the experience and the energy that's going on there. Yeah, it's a little bit like we think we know the Capricorn part of our chart well because we have had Saturn there for two years and the South Node has been there for more than twelve months. But mm -hmm. we are going to get a whole new. So I do think Jupiter teaches us things. It helps us understand particular part of our chart more deeply. Mm -hmm. And that that's what's going to happen now with Jupiter going there, and then the eclipse. It's a very very tight eclipse too. Very yeah. Strong. I I guess I see it more in terms of uh, a continuation of the dynamics. I don't think it's going to feel like a radical shift to people. I think it's going to feel like, oh, that's what I do about it. Right. Right. That's the like the really good solve for the whatever issues have been, um, you know, pinged off and on for a year. It's like, and we get a benefic moving in for the whole year. Yeah. Um, and it's tied up really tightly with um, with the eclipse. Um, yeah, I mean, if within there, a degree, I, I would agree with you. If not for that eclipse, because but, those eclipses, but we've already had the eclipses, and so like the like the we know what eclipses in Cancer and Capricorn feel like already. We know what Saturn and Pluto feel like. This is yay Jupiter's joining, but we've already got three things that are exactly the same as what we've been doing for a year. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, and so that's I mentioned earlier that oh, you know, one thing. To note about uh, Jupiter this month and or December and uh, January is that it's very close to the South Node, and so the meaning of that will be writ most clearly on the eclipse on the yeah, South Node the with South Jupiter node. right there. Yeah, so it's going to emphasize that dynamic. Which I think you know the idea of the South Node being a bit of a feature this month, I think, is something that you know that's what you're talking about, and it is worth really emphasizing for our listeners. We have a, a very potent eclipse on the South Node. Jupiter is near the South Node, and we've got the Sun on the South Node this month as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, for the the latter half, for the yeah, second half of the month, once it gets into Capricorn. Sure. Let me yeah. throw up the chart just so we can get into some of the more minute details of like let's say the first week of december yeah because there are i mean there are a few we do sure. need to talk about yeah i guess if we start talking well, about jupiter and capricorn well, should for a we minute. talk about i mean we queued up the eclipse um i i i have more things to say about the oh, eclipse. Absolutely. Do you imagine sure. you do as absolutely. well absolutely yeah I, whether we we can come back to it or whether we stay with it now um 
Sure. So there's two lunations this month. One is just the Gemini full moon, and that's not a huge deal. It's just a lun- normal full moon. It it is a normal full moon, and I think there's a level of lightness to that potentially. Like mm-hmm. enjoy that Gemini full moon because we then do go into a series of eclipses for the lunations following. Yeah, that's a really good point because that's before that's while the sun is still in Sag and Mercury has just moved into Sag, and so there's this light. Sort of somewhat light full moon, and even though Jupiter's ingressed. Yeah, Jupiter's like off axis to the lunation, but there is a different tone. There's a lightness to that. So I think you want to take advantage of that if you can. Sure. Yeah, well, it's interesting because it's like Chris said, it's it's a pretty normal full moon. Like yeah. none of the benefics and none of the malefics are aspecting the full moon. Yeah. Right? It's just a full moon in just Gemini. Just a full moon in Gemini. Um, it's configured to Mercury. It's ruler. Which yep. is, you know, a uh, full moon in Gemini is always going to feel configured to Mercury. Yes. Right? Um, and so it's 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 really um, a by the book full moon in Gemini. And so that's on the 11th slash December 12th? 12th, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's, a, you know, there's um, the moon is departing from a square with Neptune during that, which is worth noting. Um, but Mercury naturally, or a Mercury ruled Lunation is naturally going to um, be moving from muddle to um, rational order or some clarity. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that that that's there, right? We're moving, the moon is moving away from the square with Neptune and into the full moon. And so like, okay, so let's try to figure out how to think about this or what can we say about this that's clear. Yeah. And there's, the, I always, I really like the Gemini full moon each year when I mean, we have one, you know, always between late November and late December every year. It, I always find myself doing like a big group social celebratory end of year type of thing. And so there is definitely an interactive quality to that. It can be a little overstimulating for the mind and with the, the moon coming off the square to Neptune, potential for a little bit of confusion or overwhelm, but it, it's a, it's a nice time in, in this month to, you know, mingle, meet new people. If you're someone who likes to send a holiday card, you know, I'm always doing that under this full moon. Yeah, it's, yeah. Very, it's very chatty. Sing- single and ready to mingle. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, very chatty. I, we Did you say? Won't tell Peter. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm not going to be single and ready to mingle. I'll be sending the Christmas card. Okay. Yeah, I'm. Um, I'm going to be doing a live stream. <clears throat> excuse me, a live stream on that full moon. With, yeah. Uh, with a friend. With a friend. Totally. I'm not sure if that's announced yet, though. So I'll leave it. At yeah. That. You'll- okay. Uh, um, that's a great, great symbolism for a Gemini full moon, like mm-hmm. a chatty live stream. Yeah. yeah. All right. So then why don't we skip forward then and talk about the eclipse? So I've just put it up on the screen here. And one of the things that's actually cool about this that I hadn't noticed uh, until now is that um, the eclipse happens at about four degrees of Capricorn, it looks like, when the sun and moon can yes. join and they're only well, like four degrees off of the south node. So this yes. is a this is a total total eclipse. solar, solar eclipse. Total or an annular? Let's I'll check you check. Because annular is also super tight, super close. Yeah. Okay. Well I mean it's super intense it's a, it's energetically, a, it's regardless. A, it's a real eclipse. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> There's no it's not one of those fake equ- eclipses. Uh but immediately after it completes the after the moon completes the conjunction with the sun at four degrees of Capricorn, Jupiter's only at five, is already at five Capricorn by then. So the moon hits yes. Jupiter immediately after that, yeah. which is kind like of a, a couple nice hours after. offsetting thing that we don't just have the it's Jupiter. it's so combust. It's pretty what, the smashed moon, up. The moon and Jupiter combust? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Jupiter is a, a planet that combust is not going to be able to do a ton. I think that externally, it's a really important thinking point, um, mental point with Jupiter. But like, you know, if we're doing 
you know, if we're looking at external possibilities, a Jupiter that combust isn't going to have any, it doesn't, it has no light. Sure. Yeah. I understand why you feel that way. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of. <laughs> well, it's not just a feeling. Combustion is a uh, part of the doctrine. Yeah. So is application and separation. And when <laughs> planets can join and then they apply to benefics, sometimes it can bring in positive things. Whereas when they can join and apply to malefics, sometimes it can bring in more challenging things. <laughs> tell, tell me more. Yeah. Oh, you too. Um, the moon, look, the, definitely the moon is absolutely combust, but sometimes you see the um, a little bit of insider awareness about something. Oh, yeah. No, I think it's from gonna, a combust planet. Uh, no, I think it's going to be that that was what I was saying. Is that I wouldn't expect much from it externally, right. but internally, internally. Um, it's a really key moment. Like this is the, oh, in some ways, the most emphasized Jupiter is going to be for a long time. Right? There's a lunation on it, and in, and it's an eclipse. Um, so there's a tremendous emphasis, but behind the veil of matter. Yes, yeah. So there's something in that energetic liminal space that might be. To your point, Chris, with the moon coming to Jupiter, there is a, a, a revelation of some kind. Yeah, just in terms of sometimes when we have an ingress of a new planet, especially an outer planet into a new sign, we look for triggers or markers to know when we're going to start to really get a feeling for what that is about. And seeing an eclipse hitting at nearly the same degree within the same degree yeah. as Jupiter at that time, especially if anybody has sensitive points around let's say four or five degrees of Capricorn or even four or five degrees of the cardinal signs, um, they're going to be getting both an activation of the eclipse hitting that and Jupiter hitting it at the same time, which could be an important turning point for them in terms of that being more important for them just personally than it could be otherwise. Yeah, it's definitely significant. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, the eclipse on its own, if you were to take Jupiter out, is significant because of the proximity of the lunation to the nodes. But right. I am quite intrigued by this idea of a planet being between the lunation degree and the nodes itself. There's something in that, like, it, there's something else in the mix there that it, mm -hmm. it's not a typical solar eclipse in Capricorn. Sure. Um, so it is going to be, and I think exactly, Chris, the four or five degree cardinal points are incredibly stirred. Uh, by this. So, what else is going on by the time we get to this eclipse? We, we've kind of jumped over. Like we a did. Lot we of missed stuff. the middle of the month. All right, let's back up. Because um, we got so excited about, Cap and I guess to summarize what we we're saying, the early part of Capricorn is strongly active in new and powerful ways this month because of the Jupiter ingress and the the solar eclipse. Yeah. Um, the other thing we have early on also in the second week is yeah. the uh, Venus Saturn conjunction. Yes. And we've been like talking about this actually for the past couple of days and we've like been going discussing. We all have different opinions on it. About like the uh whether this is like positive we're gonna treat this more as positive for Saturn, we're gonna treat this more as negative for Venus. And it's no, tricky because well, Kelly it's a was bit treating of, it as positive for Venus. No, no You were talking about how excited you were about this. I do I do like a Venus Saturn conjunction and, and then we were talking maybe I could be projecting some of my own chart here. I like the solidness of it. I like the mm. clarifying quality. Sure. It's not happy. I'm not saying that at all, but I think it shows you things that are real or solid and have substantial or long-lasting potential. Yeah. And that may be less than what you thought, mm -hmm. but you can take it to the bank that what you get clear on under this is is solid and real, or you could write that in stone if you like. What is, is there a way that we could generalize? Like one of the things I always thought was interesting that goes back to the ancient delineations, but also goes through the modern ones when in natal astrology, when somebody has a Venus-Saturn conjunction, there's sometimes being like age disparities or class disparities in relationships. 
Yeah, yeah it's that's a classic age yeah, difference. It's like yeah. a really classic and it's always and it works. Like it's a common yes, thing. Totally. What is that though? Is there an underlying archetype there that we could generalize that might be useful for how that might feel in the middle of the month? Distance. Distance in yeah. desires, like having distance or having something restraining or something that's keeping you from fully. There's a restraint or, quality, I think. Or okay. and if you're restrained, that keeps you from getting closer. Yeah. Yeah. And or, the quote that I always think of for this aspect is by Rumi, and it's I'm paraphrasing here, but it's basically like the point is not to search and look for love. The point is to look inside yourself and find all the barriers that you have built against love. Okay. And okay. that kind of speaks to this, that sometimes we have a desire to get close, but there's something inside us that that blocks or prevents that, and it can be conscious or unconscious. Mm. And I think this type of aspect can help you get clear on what some of those blocks Sure. So identifying your blocks or restrictions or the things that um, make you not able to fully commit to something. Commit or connect or be vulnerable, for instance. Um, Yeah. But you you have a different take on this aspect, or well, I think that those things can all happen. Yeah. Um, You know, uh, it can also just be uh, you really feel Saturn things, right? For a couple days, where you're like, oh, I'm really feeling my tax burden next year or you know I, uh, where venus is there's an uh, emotional magnetization to whatever venus is conjoined right yeah. so you'd be like oh yeah you know oh i've got to i don't know um you know we've got to do this with you know, got to talk to the landlord about this you know there's yeah. um saturn is obligations stuff things that you have to do the necessities of life mm-hmm. Um, and so that can cramp Venus, right? Totally. It's probably right. not going to be like you're feeling Venus. Feeling Venus can be grieving. Yeah. Feeling, or sorry, Venus feeling Saturn can be grieving, mm-hmm. right? It can be feeling, which is also a matter of distance between you and a person. Yeah. Right? Loss right. or separation. Or loss. Yeah. yeah. Um, so intensely, you get the Venus feeling of like love for something, but also the Saturn feeling of like loss or mm-hmm. sorrow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, on a relationship level, um, I would just add that it's a natural time to talk about boundaries and um, mm. agreements. The long-term planning kind of thing or the rules of engagement that kind of like, what are our um, game, what are the rules by which we're playing? Yeah. And the expectations which just kind of develop in relationships, yeah. like um, often the, without yeah. discussion. And so Venus can, you know, Venus, Saturn, uh, activates those emotionally. Yeah, so it's a, it's like a chance to clarify. Oh, I've noticed that this has been happening, or that's been happening. Yeah, is that what we want to explicitly say, or have we fallen into some sort of habit yeah, or exactly. pattern here? Because Saturn can sometimes be like imperfections and focusing in on imperfections, and in a Venusian yeah. context, that's sometimes exacerbating imperfections in relationships and making them more prominent, but also bringing a critical turning point where they have to be addressed, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which sometimes in a most negative or extreme sense with the Venus-Saturn aspects can mean like Saturn is the negation of something. And if Venus mm-hmm. is representing unions, it can be like the negation of a union or the rejection of a relationship. A hundred percent. I think- It could be a breakup it, it, election. It's, it's totally, right. I mean- A good election, you're going to elect a breakup. <laughs> yeah, I would do it two days after the full moon when the moon is opposing, opposing Saturn and Venus. Venus-Saturn. If you would like a breakup to stick, to that's stick. my election of the month. <laughs> that's- Okay. Austin's. But I think you're you're right. It because the reality check that 
Venus gets from Saturn shows you what is or isn't working. And but, but see, uh, that that was part of what I was reacting to. Okay, because yeah, Saturn yeah. can also just be like, oh, I feel horrible today. Right, and that's okay. not that's, that's not a like, passing thing that's rather than a qualitative or like, thing. Yeah, I'm really focusing on what's wrong with you without the rest of it. Okay. And that's got it. not like that's not any more real than only focusing on the positive. That's true. That's true. I guess I'm coming like from that perspective, you know, when people sometimes have an excessive amount of hope or an amount of hope to a situation that is unrealistic to the nature of the situation. Um, well, could you reiterate it again? So basically like, you know, say you started dating someone and it's a, you're a few months in and you just, you're still in that kind of glow of maybe it's amazing, but there's something that's not quite right. And then I think an aspect like this can help you get really clear on either what the specific thing that doesn't sit well with you is, mm -hmm. or the, that it is maybe more substantial than you'd been being honest with yourself about. Yeah, totally. And that's where I think you get the breakup well, like, stuff coming Saturn's in. Saturn's very highly um, discerning, but also very critical. Hugely and, critical. Um, and we were talking about this the other night, I think in private, where there was somebody I knew who had it connected with like Mercury or the third house. And he was so highly critical. He was very critical of other people's writing, but also often would turn that inward. And Are also we talking about me? No, <laughs> no, 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 it wasn't because no, no. this is all you. true. No, it's another. I, I feel called out by this okay. uh, relatable content. Don't no, you feel seen? Because you have you have a day chart, and you actually often end up managing that in constructive ways. But this well, was thank somebody. You. Yes, that you had get it, you get the workout. This is somebody that had it in a night chart, and <laughs> it caused him to be when it turned inward so highly critical of his own work that he couldn't publish. He couldn't bring himself to release it. Um, because he almost was had a fear of of being criticized or criticism to the extent that he didn't end up publishing. Became paralyzing for him. Yeah, like a, a portion, a, a small percentage of what he planned to or could have, because that um, critical function from Saturn almost like um, went overboard or uh, went on the fritz or something right. like that. Yeah. Well, and yeah. I could see if if Saturn was one iota more unfavorable for me, I would fall off into that ledge. Right. Yeah. Um, so that, but but what you were saying, Kelly, though, is when that gets applied to. So I was talking about that in the context of like Mercury or writing or communications, but it can also be applied when Saturn is together with Venus to to relationships yeah. and to sometimes trying to figure out and a very fine line between what is a sensible like critique of what are the problems with like this relationship or a potential relationship or what yeah. have you versus what is somebody that's being like overly critical or overly focusing on negative things so that it's become paralyzing. Yeah. I think it's, you know, in every relationship, there are things that aren't perfect, but a, a, something like a Venus-Saturn conjunction is going to be a time to just remind yourself that there are some things that aren't perfect, but you have to assess whether you can still be functional within that relationship with those specific things not working yeah, well. Yeah, that's exactly basically. what I was saying. When you said imperfection earlier, Chris, right. because yeah. every relationship with another human will involve how you deal with their imperfection as well as how they deal with yours. Yeah. And so if it's if you're early in a relationship, that might be a revelation as to what imperfection um, you will need to manage in the other. Yes. Yeah. And, and then and a choice about whether you want to do that, mm -hmm. essentially. And so, how to do that. Yeah. And some people, so if you formed like a, a relationship around this, so this aspect is culminating around the 11th. 11th, just some before of, the full moon. Right. So some of those themes might be more more prominent for you in that that relationship potentially if that's acting as like a marker. But also it can be relationships that start slowly but end up having – and that you – aren't terribly optimistic about going into it, but end up having more longevity in the long term if you get through the initial phase than you expect. Yeah. And I think to put 
a little of context here, I just realised this conjunction is happening at 19 Capricorn. Mm -hmm. Now, Saturn is back at this degree for the third time. It was first at 19 Capricorn back in like March, April before it stationed retrograde. Okay. So, there is sort of something here that the Saturn piece, if, if, you're, if this is directly triggering your chart, mm -hmm. that piece from Saturn has been running all year and Venus is kind of coming in on the last activation to offer something something positive or something something sweet or something sweet or counterbalancing yeah just a little like a, a little drop of sweetness into yeah. saturn she's i don't think she's enough on her own to take over saturn but she can attend it's like putting a baby in a grumpy old man's arms basically sure i yeah. like that that's a good <laughs> the softness well it reminds me as long of as it's the grumpy old man doesn't drop one the baby. of the <laughs> uh, one of the consistent <laughs> renaissance images of saturn yeah which is saturn is in uh, his chariot um the wheels are capricorn and aquarius it's usually pulled by dragons and often saturn is occupied with cutting the wings off of cupid Oh, you'll you'll see that in a hundred places. But, but this is why, yeah, and this is why I think this is a very important aspect for relationships. Yeah, it, I mean, in, in all the in, ways in, we've I would say about the it. principles of Venus and Saturn. Um, if there's a commitment over a long period of time, you've got Saturn. If there's, you yes. know, love and affection, there's Venus. Um, I don't necessarily mean. I don't necessarily think that this one conjunction is going to be hyper important for tons of people because it's only a couple days. It's just a couple but, of days, but you're it, right. It, it's but a, the it's conjunction, the, the, the passing conjunction does point us to that principle in relationship yeah. where Venus and Saturn are always, it, they, those always matter if you're going to, yeah. if you want to endure together. Yes. Sure. Uh, and somebody mentioned the keyword restraint in the chat. Uh, which is a good keyword because sometimes it's um, like Venus Saturn stuff, or when Saturn's tied in relationships, can be things that um, seem like a hindrance in the relationship or could otherwise hold it back, mm -hmm. but where you still end up getting around it and having the relationship and just making do or making the necessary adjustments to commit to it, anyways. Yeah. And I think that might actually be the underlying thing with what I was talking about earlier, the underlying archetype with like an age disparity, because normally an age disparity might be something that's a problem. Like you're mm -hmm. coming from different backgrounds. You don't have the same You don't have the social, same social references yeah, or cultural references. You don't listen to the same music or have the yeah. same television shows uh, or maybe it's the same hobbies or something. Yeah. And so that creates a natural hindrance to the relationship, but it might still be something that you're able to get through or get over. Yes. Or some of the like old texts talk about like class distinctions, like coming from a different class or background or um, um, health issues on one person's part or what yeah. have you. Just the idea of somebody bringing something to the relationship that causes you to have to put more work into it or have a counterbalance rather than something that just naturally flows completely easily without any problems whatsoever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah, that's beautiful. All right. So that's happening around the 11th and 12th when the Venus Saturn conjunction culminates. Yeah. So um, we've got our kind of chatty, lighthearted full moon while we've got Venus Saturn. And so those days are kind of going to feel like one or the other. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, like those those influences don't combine no. naturally by angle. No. Um, and so it's kind of going to be one or the other. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then what else is going on? So Mercury is already going through Sag and is moving pretty quickly by this point mars is through going still going through its home sign it's in the middle of scorpio yeah mm -hmm. what do you got kelly um jupiter trying uranus mm -hmm. that's 
December 15th, two degrees. I think you've got it on the screen there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of intrigued. I'm, I'm, I like a Jupiter-Uranus aspect. It's It's got a bit of an exciting tone. Mm -hmm. There's a subdued quality to this one because it's in the Earth signs. Right. But also this is a pretty substantial aspect for Uranus and Taurus and Jupiter and K. It's like... It, both of these planets are relatively new into these places, and I think it's going to be interesting to see how they kick off each other. Yeah, because Jupiter Uranus is such a like an innovative aspect, uh, an enterprising yeah. aspect, and an expansive one that sort of speeds up the expansiveness of Jupiter. But both in Earth signs, there's a real practical quality to it here. Yeah, I get the idea of like shifting foundations or something structural having to be you know, redone or remade. Uh -huh. But I am curious of your thoughts on this one, Austin. Yeah, I mean, um, if we didn't have anything else in Capricorn, um, that Jupiter-Uranus trine would be the one of the primary things that I would interpret. Yeah. Um, but Jupiter's sharing Capricorn with Saturn, mm -hmm. as well as a few other things. And so that, that restrains uh, a lot of the natural qualities of Uranus are contrary to that of Saturn, right? Out of nowhere versus taking a long time. I think it it lends a little bit of juice, like a Jupiter and Capricorn still has to move within the careful and grounded framework of Capricorn. But it is, you know, Uranus uh, itself is trying to figure out innovation within the usually placid space of Taurus. Mm. Um, so, you know, you have that elemental training there. Um, so, you know, it's um, it's practical solutions. Yeah, practical, out-of-the-box solutions or an encouragement to try something different about something that's fairly established or fairly significant within your life. Have you guys seen one of the throwaway things we said on the forecast episode uh, last year, I think I mentioned was like the expansion with Uranus going into Taurus as one of their main signatures was the expansion of things like uh, beyond meat and like meat alternatives. Oh, yes. yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Have you seen that, how that's kind of gone crazy over the past year and has as actually it's kind of exploded? exploded? And even like Netflix documentaries about veganism and things like that, which are also, there's a whole movement mm -hmm. um, that is really amping up that beyond meat yeah, plant based the, stuff. Yeah. The, the invention of new foods is a really consistent thing with, with Uranus. With previous and cycles of Uranus and Taurus. Yeah, too. like right. potato chips were invented. By yeah. Uranus and Taurus. Yeah. Um, a lot of the food manufacturing processes um, that came out. Chocolate chip cookies. Well, that's a great invention. Yeah. Especially now we have gluten-free ones. <laughs> so this could be um, an important, because this is the only time that Jupiter is going to try in Uranus, right? Yep. I just think like you one, might be right. Yes, it's, it's, a quick, it's a quick thing. Um, so that could get a, a boost to uh, some of the innovation that Uranus is um, initiating and has been pushing through Taurus over the course of the past year or two. I think it's more useful that way. I think it's. I think Jupiter can give more to Uranus. Yes. Um, I don't. Uranus, Jupiter's got a lot to deal with, so it is under more constrained Pressure. parameters than Uranus is. Uranus has a whole sign to itself. Oh, but totally. I mean, that's why I think this is important because I think Jupiter is like vibing up to Uranus. It's yeah, really helping Jupiter's in the activate. superior position. Yeah, it's, it's like Uranus and Taurus tell us what you want to say, or you know, here's a platform for that in some way. Yeah, it moves the Ju it moves the Uranus and Taurus story along. Yeah, it gives that a boost. And it, it, Uranus at two Taurus, this is like Uranus has been there since 18 months. Yeah, it seems like it's been over two degrees forever now. It, it was one of those five hit. It was one of those degrees that got the five hit transit. Okay. Um, so it's been going on since mid, because Uranus stationed at two Taurus in mid-2018 um, and ended up going to station again at yes, two those, Taurus. Those of us with natal placements at two Aquarius are very aware Very of familiar <laughs> with this. 
We both have Venus there. No, I do. we have separate, uh, different sign Venuses. What's your, what's, what do you have in Aquarius? Uh, nothing. Okay. No. You're just talking about Austin's. I was, yeah, I was just Got laughing it. at I, Austin. I was, I was saying those of us. The, I was doing yeah, the royal was, we. He was doing the, the royal we. Okay. <laughs> I mean, there are other people who there have planets at two Aquarius. Right? Yeah. Well, and any, two of any of the fixed signs, really. So yeah. two Taurus, two Scorpio, two Leo, and two uh, Aquarius. Right. Yeah. Okay. So that's a that's an exciting different thing in the middle of the month. Yeah, that is right in the middle of the month. Uh, innovative aspect. One of the things that comes up after that in terms of sign changes is later that week, in the third week of the month, we have Venus changing signs and, and finally departing and getting out of Capricorn. And it's kind well, of like- Well, speaking of Venus in Aquarius. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to this actually because it's- Venus will still be in a Saturn-ruled sign, but she's now off access to all the Saturn-Pluto drama. I right. think that's yeah. going to be a nice- Venus has to square Uranus. She does have to square Uranus, but she's the ruler of Uranus there. And that's on the 22nd, it looks like? Mm-hmm. Okay, yes. So Venus exactly square Uranus from yes. two Aquarius to two Taurus. So that's a, that's a different uh, vibe. That's a different aspect than Venus conjunct Saturn. A yeah, much very, different aspect. Very different. So if we're talking about like a, a Venus-Saturn conjunction earlier in the month and a relationship that starts under that and the idea of um, something that starts off slow, but if it makes it through the initial testing phase has greater longevity, Venus-square Uranus is more like something that starts off rapidly and unexpectedly. And out of the blue. and Right, but yeah. sometimes can uh, have a much higher burn rate uh, than other relationships and that it can flare up but die down quickly instead of having as much longevity as like Venus-Saturn. Yeah, I think that is the typical Venus-Uranus is the quick. I guess because Venus is going to be in a fixed sign, I wonder if there is like a bump or an unexpected thing, but it could be possible to to settle yeah. in potentially. Sure. Yeah, just with the sign factor. Uh, I do like the slightly lighter quality to Venus in Aquarius, particularly coming into the, the second part of the month. Yeah, I, I prefer it. Yeah, I would rather have Venus not in Capricorn when we have that eclipse. Yeah, me too. Well, and that's that's um, important not only for Venus and just a tone change, um, but that's also that changes the dynamics in Capricorn, mm -hmm. right? Because we had Venus in Capricorn um, for the first three weeks of the month. We had so we had Venus, Jupiter, um, South Node, Saturn, and Pluto all in Capricorn up to the point that Venus entered um, Aquarius. Yeah, and then Venus, uh, Venus, uh, the Sun. Uh, the sun replaces Venus in Capricorn just a little bit, a uh, few days after the ingress. But that's a different, you know, that's a different vibe. Well, but that vibe changes like December 20th, December 21st, basically. Venus mm -hmm. departs Capricorn and then the sun comes in the next day. Mm -hmm. Right. And then the moon eventually catches up several days later and we get the solar eclipse we we're talking about. And then eventually we end the month with Mercury joining the party in Capricorn. Yeah, uh, <laughs> joining the party is that what you're laughing at the party reference? Mm -hmm. And that, yeah. is, that is what is the date of the Mercury ingress? It looks like the twenty eighth. Yeah, got it. Okay, because Mercury's moving very quickly this month, so we actually get a little taste of Mercury in three different signs throughout December. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I think I'm done with the Scorpio taste. Yeah, it's already been <laughs> like a month. It's, well, it's been a month and a half already. Well, it's two months right. by the time it's done. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's and it, it. You know, Mercury being in. A, a water sign, but the water sign ruled by Mars, you know, it has been a little 
tense and fractious. Yes, um, people have told me that the uh, the Twitter has been particularly spicy. Spicy, this yes, that makes sense. And then we get Mercury and Sag for the bulk of the month, um, which is perhaps more uplifting and optimistic. But there is an outspoken quality <laughs> to Mercury and yeah, Sag. It's, well, it's um, communications are more direct. Yeah. Um, when in Sag in than in sign. Scorpio. Yeah. Um, they can be blunt to the point of rudeness. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ju- uh, Mercury and Sag can be a little judgy. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah. Um, Jupiter, Jupiter likes, Jupiter's a very moral planet. Yeah. Um, which means judging what is not moral. Mm-hmm. Right. So that yeah. can come off as superior or just judgy. And it's Jupiter judgy is different than Saturn judgy, but they both, they're, they're both judgy. They're still judgy. And you'll, you'll see Jupiter, um, in traditional texts, you'll see Jupiter associated literally with magistrates and judges. Yeah. Because it's like, well, what's right here? Yes. You what know? is the code, the moral code? And so, yeah, that's Mercury and Sag doing Jupiter and Capricorn's work. Yeah. Right. So, you know, a little, little judgy. Um, first 10 degrees of uh, Mercury and Sag, it's in its own decan. So mm-hmm. it's a little, little livelier and get some things done. Yeah. It's particularly good for just getting it done super fast. Mm. Regard, you know, things that don't need painstaking detail, but just need to get just done. Just need to get done. Um, and that, that overlaps with the full moon. And that's going to be like the change of pacing, I think, there with Mercury coming out of the more sluggish, slow water sign of Scorpio and then just getting it done. Yeah. And so there's, it's going to blaze through Sagittarius um, yeah. and yeah. then drop into Capricorn. Which is a change again. Yeah. Now we're getting serious. Yeah. It's sort of slow, fast, slow. Yeah. Yeah. Everything really just gets amplified and all that Capricorn stuff once you get to the end of the yeah, month. Yeah. I'm glad or... you're showing that on the screen because it, it, it is very extreme. Yeah, to I mean, see Jan- so many planets. Yeah, I mean, December is very Capricorny, and so is January. Yeah, it's not like uh, everything hops into Aquarius as soon as we get to January first. Oh, right. No, no, not at all. Because we're building up for that Saturn Pluto conjunction as well. Yes, I mean Mercury. I think Mercury is going to be into Aquarius, possibly by then, maybe not. But it, yeah, there's a lot. I'm like skipping ahead to our to next month. I feel you? like maybe we should revise some of that Venus Saturn discussion towards the negative because it's it's a sa- it's Venus conjunct a Saturn Pluto conjunction, right? Okay. Which historically, <laughs> Let, let's talk about just <laughs> about? Venus Pluto conjunctions in general because that's a fun. That's well, a fun we have aspect. one of those this month. I mean, we we talked a lot about Venus Saturn, but yeah, the way that second week of December works. We have Venus Saturn on the 11th, full moon in Gemini on the 12th, and then Venus Pluto on the 13th. So Venus Pluto aspects, have you guys had experience with those? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Kelly smiles. and Austin's got a cheeky grin too. Okay. Venus Pluto aspects. Uh, so it's uh, partially about like an intensity, having a t- very intense like relationship, let's say, because Pluto goes to extremes. Like one of mm-hmm. my favorite Alan White the astrologer, late astrologer Alan White isms is that Pluto takes small, tiny things and makes them really big and blows them out of proportion, like mm-hmm. taking an atom and then like splitting it and it turning into a mushroom cloud. Right. Uh, or it takes uh, big things and makes them really small. small. Uh, but with Venus Pluto, typically it's more the, the first one, which is taking something very small and like mm-hmm. blowing it out of proportion or taking it very far. Um, I, I it will do the converse as well. Um, it'll it's the eight hundred pound gorilla in the room. Um, with Venus uh, Pluto, you'll also have like very tense dynamics where nobody's talking about the thing. The huge thing the gets huge, minimized yes. as much as possible, which 
when that stops being controlled, it explodes from tiny to big. Yeah. I wish you could do the Allen voice, Chris. Yeah, I really can't. I've tried uh, and it's just not worth it. Yeah, it just sounds. So this Venus-Pluto conjunction looks like it goes exact on the 13th. Friday the 13th. Okay, so Friday the 13th. Yeah. And um, what would, like if you have that in a natal chart, let's say Kelly, what would be one of your delineations? Look, it does depend a little on the houses that Venus rules, but there is an intensity there and a tendency to uh, be obsessive or to be potentially compulsive about something. Right. Um, to go to extremes, you know, to obsess over. There can be a very intense focus. Sometimes, you know, with Venus, Pluto, it's, you know, and I think almost any planet with Pluto can get its blinkers on where it focuses on a few things to a, like a very extreme level of detail or, or that depth. I want to understand every little thing about this. And now if you're trying to understand every little thing about a person, that can be um, – you could veer into stalkerish behavior right. if that was an unwarranted or unwelcome type of uh, thing. But if you were directing it towards a research project uh, or if you were doing investigative work of some kind, mm -hmm. then it might have some productive context, yeah. if you like. But can be tricky if if you're like on the receiving end of uh, Venus heart, Pluto heart aspect and, and the relationship is like not wanted, then yeah, it can become an obsessive or compulsive attempt to to get into a relationship or something like that. Yeah, and it's not just Pluto, it's Saturn Pluto. It's yes, right? yes, Austin does not want us to forget that it, the two Well, together. I mean they're really They close. are very close, um, you're right. I know. And you know, Venus is when Venus is conjunct Pluto, it'll be a degree and a half from Saturn and vice versa. Like those are those like they that, are close. that's really tight. Yeah. Um they are. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, I mean, the other thing I think with Venus Pluto from a relationship exp experience is that idea of depth and intensity and truths right. and revelations. It's like if you want to create intimacy, you're going to have to be more open or more honest, potentially. Like, like I always kind of think of like the Romeo and Juliet thing as a Venus Pluto uh, aspect. Yeah. Because on the one hand, it's like very romantic the idea that they met each other and fell so intensely in love that they could not live without each other. Uh, but on the other hand, then you think about it, it's like two teenagers that like knew each other for a few days and and then killed each other or killed themselves because they they thought they had lost the other one. Yeah. Do you want to live that story? Sure. Yeah. yeah I'll pass. Well, and it's also you want your, a big misunderstanding. Do you want your kids to live that story? Do you want your friends yeah. to live that story? Yeah. Keep it a story. Keep it a keep it in keep it uh, in Shakespeare. <laughs> yeah. But I think that those type of tragic stories, if you mm -hmm. like, can be Venus Pluto in nature. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, and you're right that it was like there's other themes of like miscommunication. Yeah, it's like well, and, yeah, the, yeah, the Mercury Neptune vibe. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, so that is a good point though that that is thrown into the mix there of our Venus Saturn conjunction. So that's a little little tricky. It, it, it and I think so. If it were me, um, if I were if there were like issues coming up relationally, I would sit with them by myself. Right. I would not open. I would not be like, let's talk about this now. Yeah. I'd be like, mm, I'm feeling some things, and I'm gonna think about that for a couple days, and then I'm gonna see once I'm out of because that's that's gonna be a dark mood for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and, once I'm out yeah. of the like heaviness of the mood, okay, what what did I bring back from the underworld? Yes. Right. Uh, and also, you know, Mars is. Um, uh, in a perfect sextile there. And sextiles aren't usually an issue, but it's like another malefic um, aspect in exactly the same degrees. So it, yeah. it makes it easy to, it brings that, the Mars fire um, to the rest of it. I would, you know, I would sit with those feelings and then figure out 
what you're going to talk about. Yeah. Um, not when you're, you know, in the, in the in belly the of the of beast. Explore the belly of the beast. Take notes. Yes. Reflect. I, th- I like what you mentioned, Austin, about sitting with it because there's something about this Saturn-Pluto conjunction in Capricorn that has a very monastic feeling to it. The idea of uh, the isolation and reflection, and you could be very proactive about creating that for yourself. And for people who are really thinking about the Saturn-Pluto conjunction coming up next month, in some ways, this is a little bit of a, a precursor that has a Venus slant on it. Yeah, I think um, just a lot of the stuff we were talking about earlier about the Venus-Saturn stuff, both the positive stuff and the negative stuff, the Pluto conjunction is just going to really intensify and exacerbate yeah. a lot of those qualities, um, some of which could be good, but some of which could be bad, like the critical qualities or the tendency of Saturn to reject something and just taking that to an extreme. Yeah. Uh, could be the experience for some people. Yeah, and also control issues. Control relationships. for sure. Because Saturn-Pluto yeah. on a mundane level is always about control and will push it to totalitarian heights and depths. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. So looking back at the chart here, we are getting pretty late in the month. Um, are there other major things? So, so eventually Venus like clears by the middle of the month uh, Saturn and Pluto, and gets out of Aquarius, gets out of Capricorn and into Aquarius pretty quickly after that by the twentieth. Yeah, um, I mean, one just sort of slightly um, messy day. I think in the middle of the month there is that Mercury square Neptune aspect around the nineteenth. Oh, yeah, yeah, that that comes up because we had Lisa was finding the electional chart this month, and we did recorded the auspicious elections episode the other day, and we had a hard time getting around that in the middle of the month for finding electional charts because it's just right there from Neptune at 16 Pisces and Mercury squaring it uh, from 16 Sagittarius by around the 19th or 20th. Yeah. It just has a, it's not a Mercury retrograde, but it has the feeling of some of that miscommunication or crossed wires or confusion about facts or details. Right. Uh, So, yeah. Yeah. One, I would say that um, even the it's exact um, <clears throat> on the nineteenth. Um, it's the Virgo moon previous couple days. Yep, um, where you're actually going to feel it because the moon's going to T square um, uh, Mercury and Neptune, and the moon in Virgo depends on Mercury. Mercury. Yeah, that's um, a great so point. There'll be a couple. Of the you might you may actually feel it more day or two in advance than just the the two planets uh, perfecting the aspect on the Thursday. So that's kind of like what wipes out a little bit of that week. Then. Uh, well, it's just like I don't, I don't know. Yeah, or it's maybe just not like, wipes out, but it, a messy factor. Yeah, like keep maybe allow extra time if there are um, technical procedures or if you need to drive to a place you've never been. Maybe yeah. write down the directions and don't rely on your phone phone because you'll run out of battery and forget the charging cord. Or yeah, or like that. whatever program may get confused. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that we've skipped over and not talked about a lot, we talked about a bit last month, but it's one of the transits, partially because it's there's no real hard aspects with it this month, but Mars transiting through Scorpio yeah. and love it. largely just yeah, giving supportive uh, superior square aspects or superior sextiles to the Capricorn planets at various points most of the month. Yeah. And I think, Austin, you mentioned something briefly at some previous, we've been together a few days yeah, we, now. We've at talked some, for right. probably 20 hours. Yeah. At some point in the time we've been talking, I think you said, I'm just going to be like working or productive because we've got the malefics are in conversation this month by well, that and sextile. What, what's dignified? 
Absolutely. The two malefics. The two malefics. So it's just like get get some work done. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it, you know, generally speaking, when you've, when the benefics are in great position, it's easier to find a good time if you go looking. When the malefics are in great position and the benefics aren't, it's easier to find something productive to do. Or if you want to look for trouble, it's easier to find trouble. Yeah. So I would say don't look for trouble with these dignified malefics. <laughs> look for something hard to do. Yeah, it's something that's that, that you'll be that you'll be happy you did. Yeah. Cause I do I really like Mars in Scorpio. I'm there for it. I think it's it can be very de- determined and focused and it's there's a real staying power quality to it. Yeah. I it's my favorite Mars with my chart. With your chart, it's your favorite version of a dignified Mars. Like it's your yeah, the exactly. One you prefer. Like I like Mars and Aries. It's in my tenth, but I'm always exhausted at yes, the end. It burns you out. Um, okay. Mars and Cap is in my seventh. You don't want Mars in your seventh. <laughs> um, whereas, like Mars in the Mars and Scorpio is in my fifth. So yeah. it's like supporting the ascendant. Uh, it trines my own Mars, and yeah. and it's dignified. Yeah, you, know, you have that, um, and it is like you were saying. Like staying power is not only something I experience objectively with it, but it's also the me. It's the only sign that is fixed that Mars is super dignified in. Like that's what it's oh, supposed that's true. to do. Yeah, of course, it's supposed to be the best, like the most sustained or enduring version of Mars. You're yeah. right. The other two are cardinal signs. Yeah, and th- that yeah. makes sense with Mars too. Right? Absolutely. Yeah, that he would have more dignity in fast moving signs. Yeah. So yeah. Um, looking at it, it looks like the sextile in yes. terms of like Mars's transit through Scorpio, one of the most important turning points is probably going to be that sextile that goes exact from 19 Scorpio uh, around December 19th yeah. to Saturn at 19 degrees of Capricorn. Yes. Um, so that's maybe peak time in terms of the parity between those two dignified planets with Mars being in its own sign and Saturn being in its own sign. If one was to, I don't know, attempt to use that for for something, although that can be tricky. Yeah, um, there it's still two malefics aspecting each other, but it's as friendly as you. They're could both get. in their own sphere, and that's as gentle an aspect as you can have. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's you know, Saturn's uh, Saturn's the discipline. Mars is the sustained effort. Yeah. Well, and that's going to be one of our big training things this year is going to be learning how to use like malefic energy in electional charts yeah. and how to get along with it and how to use sort of like how to use um you know some poisons obviously can kill you but some can be used for good effect if taken in the exact right doses the right doses yeah uh, like a little bit too much and like you're dead but approach the perfect amount and maybe you can create some sort of positive uh, constructive at least effect yeah yeah. So yeah. this will be a good test of that, that sextile. Yeah. Well, and it's the the surgery principle. Yeah. The antibi- antibiotics kill lots of things in your, inside your body, including right. the enemies that have yes. made it inside your body. <laughs> right. That's true. Right. They kill the good things and the bad, but you get rid of the bad and then you got to- Right. Or like chemotherapy or radiation. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Same thing. They're killing more than what is bad, but they are at least doing the bad. Well, and killing. you literally have to have venom to make anti-venom. Exactly. Which in Australia is very important, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> we have all of those deadly snakes and spiders. So there's well, probably... well, you're in Belgium now. Like, yeah. what? What do you have? What's your natural predator in Belgium? It's like the French fries. Yeah, French fries <laughs> and like the chocolate shops. The chocolate, and... the cheese, right. and the French fries. You have like fries. particularly fearsome squirrels, or... right? There are no natural predators that, that I. I mean, other than the. 
your food. There's a lot more sugar and chocolate there. So okay, yeah, I don't know. I read I, I read the Roman accounts of uh, Belgium, and it sounds like a wild place. A wild place. Okay, yeah. There, there's a lot of history. It's quite phenomenal. The uh, the first and last shots of like World War Two were fired not far from where we live, for instance. Okay. So anyway, that's a different kind of Mars-Saturn conversation. I'd yeah. say that's a Saturn-Pluto conversation. Saturn-Pluto conversation. There you go. That is true. Um, all right. Going back to things, are there any- In December. Last major things we need to touch on Are we December? ever going to finish talking about the eclipse? Austin really needs more eclipse well, it's time. A, I mean, it's a yeah, huge thing. It is a huge thing. We well, like started like... to talk about it twice and then veered off. So we did uh, an eclipses episode back in July after the last pair. And one of the things we really focused on, that Lisa and I focused on, we took chart examples from the audience, was just um, eclipses acting as important markers and turning points and drawing out and causing a greater uh, emphasis on the significations of the houses that the eclipses are bouncing back and forth between uh, mm -hmm. over the course of that year and a half or two year period. Yep. So because we're already we've had eclipses like we had a year ago a solar eclipse in Capricorn and then last summer we had lunar eclipse in Capricorn this is not necessarily going to be something new but maybe either a continuation of a process that's been going on for at least a year year and a half now or it may be um, just the next phase in something that you could have seen building up or could have seen coming that hits a critical turning point now with this solar eclipse in whatever house it's falling in in your chart and then that's going to have an effect that's going to last for the next six months at least until you get to the lunar eclipse uh, next lunar eclipse in Capricorn next summer yeah, I would say that this initiates the final phase of the project. Mm, yeah, that's a good phrase. Well, if you remember yeah. on the yearly last year, we talked about um, you know the eclipses being there with Saturn, and I believe I used a Marie Kondo metaphor. I believe I added a flamethrower to it. Yeah, I'm sure you did. Um, but you know, the like clearing, clearing out the backlog, yeah. making space, and I would say that the the this solar eclipse uh, on top of Jupiter, with Jupiter having just ingressed, is a little. There's a little bit of thinking of okay, if you actually made some space in that house, um, what might you be able to put in it, and also what mm. systems can you set up to make sure it doesn't just get clogged again? Mm. Yes, that's a really good point, actually. Sure. Thank you. Yeah, um, I, I like the flamethrower. One of the things. Uh, in terms of the symbolism, since it's a it's a new moon in Capricorn, which can sometimes indicate the start of the foundations oh, or yeah. laying the seeds of something new that then grows and develops over the next six months until you have the lunar eclipse there six months later, and then you see a culmination of events. But also with Jupiter moving into Capricorn, um, also indicating a growth phase in whatever house it's moving through in your chart, uh, Jupiter may then accelerate some of the growth indications or the starting or founding something new indications that might already be symbolized there by the solar eclipse in whatever house it's falling in. So let's say it falls in your 10th house, starting some new phase in terms of career or work or your overall life direction, uh, falling in your 7th house, maybe starting a new relationship, 4th uh, house, new matters, a new phase in terms of your home and living situation or something with your parents and so on and so forth. Yeah, I think there is something in that um, and in my um monthly subscription when I was doing the month ahead for my subscribers, I really did look a little at the fact we've got this new moon in Capricorn. It's an eclipse, but the very next day we have the Sun-Jupiter conjunction in mm. Capricorn as well. And that idea of, you know, Jupiter kind of being burned in the sun or being reborn 
it is that very kind of early stage, the inkling of the idea or the seed being planted that is then going to unfold over the the next six to 12 months. Yeah. Well, in six months, because we're pretty much done with that cycle. With the eclipse cycle. Yeah, but the Cap- but with, with the, the Jupiter and yeah. Capricorn piece, that I think is is got the longer timeline. Right. Yeah, I think the Jupiter nodal piece will be done in six months, but Jupiter's got a lot of um, uh, a lot to do this year, right? Jupiter's yes. also got plans with Saturn. Jupiter's also got plans with Pluto. Yes. So Jupiter has that. a lot of big meetings. What, to, are its, uh, yeah. what are its station degrees? Does it get into Aquarius before it's stationed? No, no. It's something about 27-ish or late, something in the third decade. Let me tell you exactly. Okay. I'm again like jumping ahead to what we should be talking about tomorrow on our year ahead forecast. Which but we will. Curious. So, 27 what, what, in May. Okay. Yeah. And so, degrees. yeah, it spends a lot of time with Saturn and Pluto. Yeah, it doesn't. Um, get, it doesn't. It's just there all year. Got it. Yeah. And it's worth it gets noting a break from Saturn, but. the the eclipse, although it can be very significant, it's not. Uh, it's not fortunate. It's not like a, a, a great time to elect things. Um, it eclipses are powerful, but they. Um, uh, and they may they may plant seeds, which end up being fortunate over the long term. Mm. Um, but you don't want to you don't want to schedule things for eclipses. No, because and I think too, be- one of the contradictions, if you like, in this eclipse, it's a new moon eclipse, which often encourages people, you know, to think about the future or this sort of new inceptions. Mm-hmm. But it is on the south node, which has this tone of of letting go or emptying out or depletion. And the you know the eclipses have an, an instability kind of factor to them anyway. So there is a, you know, do we have to keep doing the clear out? Do we want to think about where we're going? But the, I think the two are quite intimately connected in that there is still a little bit of the Marie Kondo flamethrower. Yeah. Um, well, and two. Yeah, and before I think we some, can do the new. Some people though might have a hard time not starting things or not having some new phase of their life be initiated under this eclipse. Um, and I don't think they necessarily have to just not start anything new or, or drop anything. I understand mm. the principle of eclipses being somewhat challenging energy to start things electionally if you're doing like a global, like yearly election for when should I start this mm-hmm. new thing. But some people are going to find themselves sort of swept up in new events in their life that start heading in a direction. Um, that they may not be able to just like right. not and, move but forward, the, and with. that's different than an election. I think that you're referring um, to election. Like, don't yeah. not have new, don't not have ideas during the eclipse. Don't yeah. not have revelations. But if you know, if you're like, oh, I'm going to start this business, don't start it during the eclipse. Like, don't do the, don't incorporate during the eclipse. Right? I mean, if, but if you're, it, you're saying if it's in somebody's tenth house, like they're going to do. Oh, it I think it's yeah. I, well, yeah, I would say then uh, they will. Um, they will get to have an eclipse chart for their business. And um, yeah, I I will say don't do it. It's mm-hmm. not worth it. Have revelations, have experiences, pick something much more favorable for manifestation than a total solar eclipse. If what you want is a removal of life-giving light um, from your thing, then maybe that's appropriate. Sure. Uh, I would just say that like practically speaking, like I see people start stuff on eclipses and sometimes it works out and sometimes it don't. It just depends on what, how their natal chart is situated and if it's hitting it positively or negatively can sometimes make a huge, huge difference. I think one of the other factors just with the timing of this eclipse, it is happening on December 26th. Right. Now, in Australia, this is a public holiday. It's the day after Christmas. There is mm-hmm. it- nothing is happening in Australia except everyone's going to the beach and eating leftovers. 
And so there is, there's something, one of the feelings I had is there is a, a quality of like low energy or the tiredness that can come in, you know, with an eclipse in general, mm. whether you it, do or don't start something, I think there is- Because it's quality. not just the start of a, a new lunation cycle, but it's also the end of one. Yeah, the end of one. And, and I guess I just really think about socially and culturally, there's a, you know, a I know not everybody celebrates, you know, the Christian holidays, for instance, or what have you, but there's everybody's out of their normal routines at this time of year. So it, it feels like a there's an unusual extremeness to this. Sure. Coming in from the eclipse. Yeah. Somebody in the chat has just said Boxing Day in the United Kingdom. That's actually what we call it in Australia. Um Okay. Yeah. It's a two day holiday in uh Australia and I guess in the UK too. Uh got it. Yeah. Um, all right. So are there any other things? This is pretty much taking us to the very, very end of the month at this point. Um, are there any major things that we needed to touch on that we have not yet at all? Um, I thought it might be fun just to very briefly just look at December 31st with New Year's New Year. because there's a Moon-Neptune conjunction happening that day. Okay. <laughs> so um, I just, you know, plan accordingly could be a little bit messy maybe yeah that really does go exact that day so it looks like it goes exact here at least in denver at 16 degrees of pisces around like 5 p.m so yeah later in the day yeah i just think it just could be a little bit messy if there's the excess of partying and drinking um and maybe that's what people are looking for but i also think sometimes a celebration with the moon in a water sign can incline to a little bit more of a a smaller group or a um kind of a quieter setting right yeah sure i just thought that might be fun for listeners to uh get their astrology for their party plans the end of a decade well that's the other thing it is the end of a decade yeah any final thoughts from you oh i um People are doing like those flashback pictures on Twitter where it's like a picture of you from 2009 versus a mm. picture from 2019. What would a picture of you from like 2009 look like? I had way less gray hair and a lot less wrinkles. Okay. <laughs> um, so so I would look, it, I would just be younger. I mean, you've done probably. a lot of consultations in the past 10 years. I have done a lot of consultations. Like a lot of clients. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is that what you think my great we're, we're expecting this ra- too. Maybe. <laughs> I've raised two teenagers in that time as well. Okay. Um, which would also contribute. I got married in that time as well. Yeah. I don't know. I look, I don't know, slightly thicker than yes, I did back then. There's, there's probably a fullness. Yeah. I mean, you look older and more mature, like not like grandfatherly <laughs> is not the ter- right no, term, but, you, but yeah. uh, in, in a- you, you, you have such a beautiful young face. So looking- when I shave the white hair off of it, <laughs> yeah, that's <right>. true. <laughs> yeah, my my husband has the same problem when he has the like his regrowth comes through because he's a baldy, so it comes through on his head and uh, it ages him. Like we go to the store and they get uh gets the seniors discount. Well, well, and also for for you, Austin, part of yours was um coming out as Austin Copic and and oh. your name and shedding your. Uh, your nom de plume. Yeah, your image of the the Baron, which was your was like that... pen name that you you hid behind for a number of years. Let's see. When did I? When did, when I did that happen? Doing... I think that was. That was like 2010, 2011. It was September of 2010. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That I showed that. So you yeah, I grew um, flesh on my face. Yeah. Yeah, I believe I was uh, skeletal before that. <laughs> well, you still have a love of skeletons. I do. I do. That's consistent. What about you, Chris? Ten years? 
Did you have hair 10 years ago? I did have a full, full head of hair. <laughs> a full head of uh, hair. Until I, I went through my Saturn return. Yeah. Uh, that was one of my Saturn return things. I had a lot okay. of Saturn return stuff, but that was one of them. Yeah. But I also was early on in building up my career. Like I was, I was writing my book by the late 2000s and I was teaching classes and I was doing consultations, but I was not successful as an astrologer yet. And I occasionally had to lapse back into my day job, which mm-hmm. is like being a barista and like working at Starbucks. So if I, I had trouble finding it, I wish I could find it. But if you had a picture of me from 2009, it would be me like- as In your a, Starbucks uniform. Yeah, like a Starbucks yeah. uniform, like working uh, there while and then going home and like reading ancient texts and uh, translations and looking at Time Lord periods and everything else. And then on my birthday, uh, November 1st, 2010, I took over traditional astrology radio from Jackie Minkus. Right. And then started the whole odyssey of the podcast over the course of the past decade. So that's been your decade experience. Well, yeah, becoming successful as an astrologer, both in doing consultations and classes and finally finishing the book after 10 years and then doing doing this. Yeah. And then, you know, hanging out with you guys. Austin, I met you in 2006. And mm-hmm. Kelly, we met finally in 2012. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I saw you at um, in 2008. We mm-hmm. didn't like sort of interact directly, but I was like, oh my God, that's Chris Brennan. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I was- Because your reputation had preceded we were... you all the way to Australia. Okay. <laughs> also, what else were we doing? We were probably still posting on MySpace a little yeah. bit in 2009. You it guys was, were. It was like- The transition pretty was starting dead, to happen by yeah. like 2008, 2009. I, yeah. yeah. I just skipped that part because I'm a bit- technologically well well, that's been a big change for you it's like technological adoption actually that's true because i only just joined facebook in like 2008 and i don't think i might have like signed up to myspace but i don't recall ever spending time there and i certainly didn't know you guys from myspace it was way more fun than anything we have now even the gram it was before people ruined the internet people (laughs) (laughs) ruined. except the internet you know is how Shows like this can go out in the world. Yeah. yeah. There are some, uh, some, there are some consolation prizes. Consolation prizes. I like it. That's true. End of a decade. So we all need a Moon in Pisces moment on <sighs> New Year's Eve. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that'll be good for that. Um, all right. I think then we've come to the end of the forecast segment of this mm-hmm. episode. So uh, we're going to take a quick break, and um, Lisa's going to come in here and do the electional chart for December. Oh, okay. That's efficient. uh, Where we picked out an electional chart. Uh, We had two major candidates, either one at the very beginning of the month or one at the end. So we'll see which one we went with. Uh, We did record a full episode the other day on auspicious elections where we found four or five electional charts for the entire month, but we always highlight one of them to to show. Uh, So Lisa's going to join us for that. I think- one of you is going to take a break, or why don't you guys talk actually for a minute yeah. while I get that set up? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then, then we'll hand over to you, and then we can yes. talk out. Yeah. Um, Go make it rain. Yeah. Were you going to say any more, Austin, on something? I feel like you had a. Maybe we should do our plugs now. Oh yeah. Because we don't we do the yeah. plugs in yeah, the transition do, do anyway. What, what do you want to plug? So Kelly, tell what do you have? What do you have going on okay, in December? So this is what I wanted to tell people about in December. Actually, I. I'm teaching a webinar on Jupiter and Capricorn on the 1st of December, but after that, then I finished teaching for the year. But I wanted to let people know I've got two workshops in January. I've got a workshop in Sydney and a workshop in New York. And if you go to my website, kellysastrology.com, and go to the event or the calendar tab, you will find out all the details on that. Wow. What about so you? you? You're just everywhere. I'm, I'm honoring You have anything going my... on in Hong Kong? No, I'm not going to Hong Kong What about Moscow? Time. No Moscow. What about Johannesburg? No Joburg. Okay. 
That's so Kelly's insane. only in like half the world. I'm only in, in um, like really. Well, I'm just doing the U.S. and Australia. Oh, and the, yeah. What are you doing? Oh, let's see. Um, doing anything in December? Yeah. Well, I'm not doing any events. The because uh, you're there, finished teaching for the year. There's a yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a Jupiter series that I elected for Sphere and Sundry that Excellent. comes out in December. It's got uh, it all, get the last it's a Jupiter series, but it also has the moon conjunct Regulus. So it's um it's a little You put my two favorite things in the one product. I was very excited to find that and to find it worked with hours and angles. So that okay. that should be a good one. And what do we have a de release date I don't, or just I, I believe, watch this space? I believe it's um I think it's Thursday the fifth. Don't quote me on that, but okay. I, I think uh, Kate plans to release it early. Okay. Um, I'll be putting out um, a long yearly piece like I always I've do. Written, yeah, your beautiful writing. Oh, I thank you. Yeah. Um, it'll be, yeah, um, extensive and- In-depth. Grim. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you, this is your outfit? Yeah. 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 Um, okay. Not, it's not all grim. No. Um, I just moments. try to be, you know- you, you I try wanna, to not minimize challenges. You're trying to normalize expectations. Yeah, um, it's a big, it's a big decade, it's a big year. Um, but yeah, and then I'll be, um, I hopefully I'll get up this. Uh, I will get the signups up for my yearly classes mm -hmm. for 2020. Um, that'll certainly go up in January. When are you planning to kick them off? Are they going to start February I need to or March? Figure or out, or I, need sure to, I need to look at what I want to do electionally, but the, the eight-month classes will begin either second half of March or early April. Fantastic. So, and yeah, so let's see, I'm writing. Um, I'll be on Rune Soup doing a chat with Gordon about yearly stuff later in December. Excellent. Um, I think that's it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The uh, Water Trio podcast that I do with uh, my two girlfriends, we are doing a special bonus year ahead episode. Oh, very nice. That'll be out early December. Actually, we're going to record that next week. Wow. Yeah. So it'll be different, obviously. Will you be, to... will you be on a different continent? When I record that? Yeah. Yes, I will be. Of course you will. I will. <laughs> I'm on... I do have a lot of travel in the next couple of months. Actually. It's almost like Mars and Scorpio is visiting your ninth house. It's almost like that. Oh my goodness. It's, it's so yeah. weird that it's so much like that. It's so weird that it's like that. And then in January, Mars and Sag will be in my 10th and I'll be hither and thither. Yeah. Okay. So, so uh, Austin, why don't you take a break and Lisa I'll will take out. your seat. You're going to step, step out too? too. Okay. Yeah. So both of you and Lisa, you can take Austin's Either one. seat. All right. So uh, welcome to the show, Lisa. Thank you. Thank you. Here I am. All right. So the other day we recorded the Auspicious Selections podcast, which we do for patrons on the five and ten dollar tiers. Yeah. Uh, and you found something like five or six elections for this month. Obviously, we had a big shift, and uh, the quality of the elections and the way that we're having to elect is much different now that Jupiter's moved out of Sag and has moved into Capricorn. Yeah, it's a huge difference. And I think um, one of the things that we had to kind of grapple with is just and sort of put a notice out about is like the change in expectations, right? It's not going to be things. And, you know, you guys have been talking about this today, of course, right. too. Um, and so things are going to things that you elect are going to move more slowly. They're going to grow more slowly, but they might have more staying power because of all the Saturn. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. So um, we had a choice because we always feature one electional chart each month on this forecast episode. So we're trying to decide between one from the beginning or one from the end. Mm -hmm. We went with one from the end of the month. Yes. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's take a look at that. What's the date for the electional chart this month? So it's going to be December 30th around 10.15 a.m. And that's for here in Denver. All right, 10.15 a.m. Mm-hmm. And what's the rising? So this is going to be an early Pisces rising election okay. um, with the moon having just recently also ingressed into early Pisces in the first house. So this has Jupiter. So, uh, so just make sure in whatever your location is, basically cast a chart for December 30th, mm-hmm. cast it for around 10.15, but then adjust the ascendant until the ascendant is in early Pisces in your location, whatever your city is? Yeah, and you will need to adjust, especially because the moon and the um, ascendant degree are so early that you want to make sure that you get both. And so you want to make sure that the moon has definitely ingressed into Pisces, particularly because it's separating from a square with Mars in Scorpio right okay. before that. So you definitely need the moon having ingressed into Pisces. So if you need to, in some instances, you might need to move the election like forward a day. Yes. So, I mean, just quick um, adjustment tips are going to be, it's about 20 minutes later, I believe, in Seattle on the West Coast. It's about 11 a.m. on the East Coast around New York City. And then it's going to be a day forward around this same election time, around 10, 15 a.m., but the following day, December 31st, if you're kind of on the other side of the world, so Sydney, Australia, Hong Kong, Beijing, China, all of those are one day forward. Got it. Okay. Uh, so let's take a look at the charts. The chart has Pisces rising, uh, Moon in Pisces, early Pisces. Mm-hmm. The ruler of the ascendant is Jupiter, and it is uh, in Capricorn. In Capricorn. So this is really just kind of going with the momentum of all those Capricorn planets mm-hmm. because you can't avoid it this month. Right. And so you just have to embrace it. You have to embrace it. And okay. so we're going to embrace that with this election. So it is Jupiter with um, Saturn, Pluto. And uh, Kelly's going to join us. Oh, okay. I don't want to interrupt you. Oh, you want to listen? Okay. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Um, Do you want to put the chart back up? Uh, Yeah. Okay. There we go. It's the first time we're doing this. It's a little chaotic. (laughs) Yeah. So so this has um, Mercury, Jupiter, Sun, Saturn, Pluto, and Capricorn. So it's a huge um, Capricorn stellium in the 11th house. So this is a really good um, election. It's a good solid general election for things that you want to grow kind of um, more with more stability and slowly over time to build something up. Mm-hmm. Of course, particularly for 11th house matters, since that stellium is in the 11th house of friends and groups, um, this would be really good for formalizing an organization because all of, all of the Capricorn is more tending towards Saturnian types of formal groups. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you wanted to found an organization that might not get off the ground quickly, but might, you know, um, last over time, this might be good for that. Mm-hmm. Um, the moon in Pisces is a kind of nice softening touch, sure. I think. Um, so much Capricorn, you know, but the moon in Pisces is kind of idealistic and softer. And so that ge- gives it a softer tone, which otherwise wouldn't be there at all. Um, we were avoiding the middle of the month because of that aforementioned Mercury-Neptune square. Yeah, so are we clear? We're finally we're clear totally of that clear. because Mercury's yeah. in Capricorn now. Mercury's in Capricorn, and so because of that piece as well, this is not only better for Mercury things, just thinking sort of clearly in general, but Mercury in this chart is specifically ruling the seventh house of partnership and the fourth house in, of home and family. 
And though, and Mercury is applying to a conjunction fairly closely with Jupiter. Okay, so we've got a nice applying aspect between the ruler of the first and tenth, and the ruler of the fourth and seventh. Yeah, exactly. So this would be also be particularly good for things involving home and family matters um, or partnership matters. Mm -hmm. And again, it's going to be a more sober tone, but sober, slow growth still. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I like that. That's so good. Eleventh house house stuff going on uh -huh. and. I notice the only planet that we almost can't do very much with is Venus, because even though Venus has finally left Capricorn, it's sort of a loner in Aquarius in the twelfth house. Yes, and it looks like you've attempted to mitigate that here by making it sextile the degree of the midheaven. Yes, exactly. So if you can do that in your location, um, definitely try to um, configure the midheaven degree to Venus. So try to put the degree of the midheaven within three degrees on either side of uh, exact sextile or some sort of exact major aspect with Venus. Yeah, exactly. Since Venus is in the 12th. Um, and so, of course, third house matters since Venus rules the third house might not be the best use of this election because even mitigated, Venus isn't like the in the best shape because it's in the 12th house and getting an overcoming square from Mars. Yeah. So, you know, try not to use this for like things that are that um, really require the third house things. This isn't really like a great chart for travel, for instance, with both the third house ruler in the 12th with the overcoming square from Mars, plus Mars itself in the ninth house, the other travel house. Yeah, in a day chart. Yeah, in a day chart. So um, the travel houses aren't great here. Um, so maybe, you know, don't use the chart for that. But other than that, I'm. it's pretty good for many other purposes. Yeah. Um, this is a pretty good all-purpose chart, and this is after the solar eclipse, um, and it's long enough after that the moon is in a sort of waxing sextile with the sun. Mm -hmm. So we're in the like waxing phase of things, which is usually better for growth and starting new things. Yeah, exactly. It has that going for it as well. So, I mean, given all of the challenges of the December astrology, this is actually like a pretty decent chart. Yeah, yeah. it's a super, super Capricorn chart, but to whatever yes. extent you're going to be able to use that energy productively or constructively, this is going to be one of those instances. Yeah, it's good for Mercury and Jupiter coming together. So maybe some some sort of grounded wisdom going on there um, and being able to communicate that. And then um, what was I going to say? This chart reminds me specifically of like an idealistic organization that's trying to like get its act together and like become more formal. Sure. You know, with Neptune and, and the moon and Pisces in the first house and then sextiling all that Capricorn in the 11th, concretizing mm. things. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. All right, uh, that sounds pretty good. Is there anything else we should mention about this chart before we move on? Um, you can't use it in London. <laughs> Why? Um, because it just doesn't work. Like the moon isn't into Pisces, I think, by that point. Even if you put it like a day forward? Yeah, even a day forward, then you lose the moon applying to um, Jupiter and Mercury. Oh, and I should say, actually, the moon also has reception with Jupiter as it's applying to Jupiter, which is a really nice thing in this chart as well, which you can get earlier in the month. Right, because the moon is in Jupiter's sign and it's yeah. applying to an aspect with Jupiter. Right, so it does make that moon, Mercury, Jupiter aspect aspect, particularly even more positive. Okay. Um, the London thing is just, um, yeah, it doesn't work at this time and it doesn't work a day forward. Um, it's already passed. So what you can do, but really briefly, is move it to around 3.45 p.m. And it's like a, an early Cancer rising chart. Okay. Um, but it's very brief before you lose the day chart status after the sun goes below the descendant. Got it. So if you have something you can do really quick in like five, seven minutes around 3.45 p.m., you can use a Cancer rising chart with that. Okay, so this is where our alternative elections would come in handy if you're living there. Yes, uh, because we have 
five or six other charts for next month for December that you could use instead. Exactly. And these are particularly tricky this month because everything's early in the signs that Mm. you're trying to get the applications for, early degrees. And so that's why I threw out in our electional podcast a bunch of different options of like, well, does this work in your location? Okay, then try the other ones. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the start of our long journey of trying to elect Capricorn stuff all year. Yeah. I mean, I'm less daunted than I thought I would be. It took me a lot longer than usual to Mm. look through December for elections, but I I think I'm adjusted now. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, Well, then people can, so this is the one chart we're going to highlight for this month. And then if people want more charts for other days in different parts of the month, they can subscribe to the Auspicious Elections podcast Mm -hmm. uh, by going to theastrologypodcast.com and clicking on the elections tab, and then you'll find out more information about how to sign up for that and get access to it on Patreon. Uh, We recorded it. I'm going to release it sometime in the next few days, so Mm -hmm. that should be available really soon. Mm -hmm. Cool. Well, thanks a lot for stepping in and joining us for (laughs) for this episode to introduce and talk about the chart. Yeah, you're welcome. It's nice that we're all live here in person together today. Yeah, Yeah. having a time. Yeah. Cool. All All right, right. switch off. Yeah, let's go find, let's find Austin, and then we'll (laughs) resume with our general chat discussion for the rest of this episode before we wrap it up. Okay, sounds good. Hey, you guys. Welcome back. We're back. Okay. We're back. So, uh, oh, right. So um, we need to uh, talk a little bit about our sponsor for this month. Our amazing sponsor who's been with us for the past few months um, is the Honeycomb Collective Personal Astrological Almanacs, which we all have our personal copies of and you guys have actually been enjoying and using lately for the past month or so, right? They're amazing. The level of detail, I I do need, I have questions. I'm like, how are they doing this? It's fantastic. It's it's a really um, comprehensive piece. And I like that there's both like the transits of the day as well as uh, the personal transits for me. Yeah. So, and I've been getting used to that and adjusting to that. And it's been a lot of fun learning. Uh, so it comes with like your sun, moon and rising on the cover, of course. Yes. And then you get a nice picture of your natal chart. There's like a key. So if you're learning astrology, you can um, start to learn the glyphs for everything or the symbols that are used for everything, which is helpful. Nice little picture of your natal chart and all of your placements at the beginning. And then it just jumps into a bunch of useful stuff like lunations there's, I know this is probably your favorite part, Kelly. There's like a personalized ephemeris at the yes. very end that I'm shows you for whatever your reference city is. It tells you the exact dates of like ingresses of different planets and stations. That, that I also like you can, and you totally get to customize this when you order it. You just tell them where you live or where you're going to spend most of your time that year and you get an ephemeris for your location. I mean, yeah, it's amazing. And it's not $200. Yeah, I mean normally this is something that would cost like $70 or $100 or yeah. something like that, but it's like only like $30 35 or something like I think for a year. The this is really if you're interested in astrology and you want to start tracking your cycles, this is going to really help you do that. Yeah, I mean cuz that's what we all had to do back back in the we day. Had to old school it. Yeah, back in the day when we had to walk um, to and from school, like uphill <laughs> in the both snow. Directions. Yeah, yep. um, we had a pocket ephemeris in our hand. Yeah, exactly. Right. We had our our little blue or white ephemerises in some instances that we would just have to highlight and write and mark on. And of course, they fall you, apart. They fall apart, and they're only for one location, and they're not for you personally. Yeah, so you have to do yeah. adjust the time zone conversion in your head and like subtract eight hours or add eight hours. Yeah, uh, this is not that, uh, which I'm very. <laughs> I'm cre- like- so kids have it easier. It's now your basically. grandpa's almanac, no. right? 
Uh, so Did you say that I've become grandfatherly, Chris? I was trying to think of a, a more complimentary term than grandfatherly, but I think there is a more uh, grandfatherly tone in a sense. <laughs> yeah, you're doing your Jupiter. It's good. It's a good yeah. thing. Yeah. Anyway. And sorry. then there's two options for the binding, too, which I liked, because Chris, I noticed you have it bound like Yeah, a book. I got the perfect bound one, um, which is good, but I definitely still like the spiral bound that I you like have. I like the spiral because for Just because it lays open. Yeah, yeah I, like I think flat. I like the spiral bound. Yeah, but yeah. you can choose that. Like, that's the customization. I mean. Yeah, so it's all highly customizable. Um, other features of it. Uh, is besides, there, is there an alligator skin option? <laughs> an alligator, like a goat skin, like your yeah. your book, <laughs> a golden goat edition. Yeah. We'll have to see. I'll oh, put in a special. But they actually got the mystical sea year. goat. I don't know if people can see that for the Capricorn. Oh, uh, let me show it. Can you, uh, do you have it on the screen? Hold it up again. So that's one of the illustrations for yeah. January. Yeah. Yeah. So the each month has an illustration. And then, um, yeah, it shows your natal chart at the beginning, and then of course. Uh, you have your personal daily transits and yeah. when certain transits go exact, both in your natal chart as well as ingresses, like showing when the moon goes into Scorpio and exactly what time in your city that day. We've also got stations and information about when the inner planets and outer planets station during the course of the year. There's a, a sort of what I call a graphic ephemeris, but it's not really that. It's more of just a graphic illustration of when certain outer planet and inner planet transits will go exact during the course of a year, Yeah, which is super cool and I really like. And uh, yeah, there's a bunch of different features. Yeah, it's very, very, it's it's quite amazing. It's I think it's great value. It's very detailed. The personalization, I just, what I, when I saw this, I was like, if this had been around when I was learning astrology, right. the amount of info that you could have access to so easily. Yeah, it'd be really helpful. Super and helpful. Yeah, just uh, doing the transit journaling, which I think is one of the best ways to really integrate your knowledge of transits. Yeah. Yeah. And right. I think, you know, if you were to get this, you know, for the year ahead or what have you, then you could put your life events in there and you've got the transits right there and then you can keep it as a reference to look back at. Well, it's also a good thing in terms of um, expectation versus um, the reality and like seeing a transit coming up and trying to come up with an expectation of what do you think it'll manifest in, then experiencing it and then reflecting on that after the fact is one of the big ways that people learn astrology. And that's what this is really useful for, I think, the most. Totally. Yeah. And that's a, yeah. that's a good way to yeah um, work on your skills. Um, there's a question that came up. How long does it take for Honeycomb to issue the book? Mine arrived within maybe two to three weeks of ordering it. Yeah. yeah. And that had talks. to come all the way to Europe. So Right. Yeah. Um, Mine was within two weeks. Yeah. I think it's pretty, pretty, pretty quick. Fast like if you time. were to order now, you would have it for January 1st comfortably. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, if you wanted it for the new year. So also a good gift as long as you can get your, your person's birth data. Yes. You need your birth you do date, have to time, enter your place. birth data. Yeah. Um, you can customize it with whatever house system you want to use. I've had set mine to whole sign, but you can pick Placidus or whatever. Uh, yeah. So you can find out more information about that at the uh, at honeycomb.co and just look up their personal astrological almanacs. Yeah, and I'm just going to comment here, and Caitlin, hi, Caitlin, is chatting here, and the questions are going back and forth. You you can customize the time frame. Like, I actually had mine start for November of 2019 because that was – I ordered mine in October, and I wanted it to start the next month. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't have to be a January to January type thing. Right. You can – if you want it to start in your birthday month and have it for 12 months, you can do that too. 
Yeah, which is another one of the reasons why it's a good gift for like astrologers because then you can have it start on that person's birthday if you want. Yeah, if you want to do it for your perfected year or what have you. Yeah, and yeah. either be like a six-month increment or a 12-month increment. Totally, yes. So Cool. Thanks, All right. Kate. Well, thanks to Honeycomb for sponsoring this episode of the Astrology Podcast. Appreciate it. That's part of how we were able to bring Austin and Kelly out here this month and pay for like their lodging while they're staying here in Denver. Which has been working out relatively well. Neither of you have been sleeping much, but oh no, I've no. been sleeping great. Like for because I'm a little bit jet lagged. Yeah, this is perfect for me. But it hasn't been so good for you. No, I've had a hard time falling asleep. But it's not the the fault of the lodgings. No. Yeah, and I just remember before I move on. So I said earlier I am going to do the calendars again. So this uh, illustration or diagram that I have here right now it shows the astrology of December is actually from our yearly poster that shows the next twelve months ahead. So. I'm going to put the link on the description page for this episode where you can order that um, pretty soon. I'm hoping to have them for sale by either the end of November or early December. That's fantastic. Yeah. It's nice. so good to have the visual aids. Yeah, to be able to look up. I put it usually in my room, like right above my computer monitors, so I can just glance up and see exactly when the, the lunations take place, exactly when the ingresses take place, or when the planets will station retrograde, like a Mercury retrograde station or even an outer planet station. Yeah. Yeah. It's good to keep that in mind. Yeah. So you can find out more information about that. I think it'll be at theastrologypodcast.com slash 2020 posters. Fantastic. All right. Um, well, let's transition then into talking about just some discussion topics for the rest of this episode. So we were trying to talk earlier this morning at breakfast about what's been going on in the community, what people have been talking about, and what do we what did we come up with? What do you guys want to focus on? We talked about the uh, how old do you have to be to be an astrologer? Yeah, so that was the big discussion. We even did a podcast episode about that, which is the question of can you practice astrology prior to your Saturn return and we did a whole thing, Lisa and I, where we went through all the nuances of that, and the answer was largely yes. Um, but I wanted to ask you guys your personal stories about like, how young were you when you started studying astrology, and when did you begin practicing and seeing clients? You want to go? Sure. I think I got into it when I was 19, and then I was at college. I went to a very small college. There were about 500 students on campus at a time. So I collected, I don't know, I had like a hundred and some birth charts of people that were around every day. Mm -hmm. wow. um, and I don't know if I would call them like consultations, but you know, I'd look at people's charts with them. I did a lot of that. And I remember a couple of years in, I could, um, you know, like I had a lot of people's charts in my head. Like, oh yeah, blah, blah, blah seems pissed today. Oh yeah, Mars is on top of blah, blah, blah's moon yeah. right now. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was a lot of, and I, I did, uh, I did do, I think maybe my last, by the time I was like 22, 23, um, I would do consultations for like 10 or 15 bucks mm -hmm. or somebody could buy me General Tso's chicken. Right. Um, that was an acceptable yes. um, exchange. That was an acceptable exchange. So, I mean, that's doing readings. Yeah, you know, that I didn't is. set myself. And for a, a, like a trade where there's a value or an exchange going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then uh, after that, um, I would do readings for, I think I, I remember I kicked my uh, my reading price up to 30 bucks. Wow. After I, I graduated college. Yeah. Fancy. That's, that's um, good. And then, I don't know, I... I was just kind of doing readings and um, the price went up a little bit, mm -hmm. 
maybe up to 75 over yep. the next couple of years. And it was really, um, I, I was, I'd been writing a weekly column for maybe a year or so. And people just kept emailing me and wanting readings okay. uh, over the phone. So I just kind of, it just kind of turned into that. And it just then, kind of organically was yeah, happening. Um, it turned, it was, and I didn't want to do other things that paid me money. You were so, happy to do that. Uh, I was like, oh, maybe I'll do this. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, it just kind of turned into a profession of I over. Love that. You didn't do it deliberately? Well, I mean, there there were certainly um, there were decisions along the way, but right. it, was, yeah. you know, it, was, it was a pretty like. Um, f- so let's see. So from first realizing that astrology wasn't fake, mm-hmm. which was nineteen, um, to going full time was almost exactly nine years. Okay, and when did you go full full time? Uh, on my twenty eighth birthday. Okay, so you so were- I, I was pretty much full time um, leading up to that when I was twenty seven, but I I made a commitment. To not get another job, mm. um, I was like, "You have to make this work." Um, okay, you know, if this is what you're going to do. Literally, the um, it was uh, the Starbucks was part of this. I never worked at Starbucks, but I was like, "I can't get a job at Starbucks," and I almost had to six months in. Right, uh, in the, in I it. literally I got as far. I was I was having a hard time paying rent. And I applied to Starbucks, right? Um, but I got some astrology work, and okay. I didn't have to take the job at Starbucks. Oh, yeah. interesting! In the chat, your wife is saying your last job was almost Starbucks. Yeah, synchronistic exactly. Difference. Yeah, nice. Oh, uh, that's very cool. And what yeah. about you, Kelly? I first started learning the basics of astrology when I was about eleven, mm-hmm. just sort of self-taught at home, reading books, and. After I finished high school, I was studying uh, remedial massage therapy at a natural therapies college in Sydney, mm-hmm. and they offered a like a course in astrology. and And I was reading. I remember I used to read um, Big Sky Astrology, April Elliott Kent's blog, which yeah. was one of the first kind of good quality astrology blogs out there. Right. And I used to have to go to the local library and log on at the computer there because um, now I'm really sort of showing my age sure. um, to to read, you know, the internet and to read the posts on astro.com and stuff. But What year is this circa? Um, like 1999. Okay. Yeah, 89, sorry, 1998, 99-ish. Sure. Yeah, that would have been like just after high school. I probably just faffed around for a little while, not really doing anything of substance and then thought I'd go and study massage. And they had an astrology course and I was like, it just never occurred to me that you could take a course in astrology. Mm -hmm. So I signed up for that and uh, studied with that teacher for a couple of years. And I was a little more sort of structured compared to you, Austin, where I was like, right, I'm going to start seeing clients. This is what I'm going to charge. And uh, that happened on my second Jupiter return, actually. when I was about 23. 23, 23 that's and a half. when you started yeah. charging and Yeah, I had paid I rented a room. Um, I, I had a, like a, an office job where I was working full time, but I rented a room in like a chiropractic clinic across the street that mm-hmm. I could see a client in. It was casual, but like if I had a client of an evening or a Saturday morning and I charged $70 an hour for readings in the beginning. Okay, so quick question. Yeah. Where was Uranus relative to your son when you went pro? Great question. I'd have to check my ephemeris. I went okay. I went pro on Uranus's conjunction to my son. Okay, well let's okay. checky check. Um I, I think with you being born earlier, I think we both basically went pro with Uranus conjunct son. Right. No, I was um Uranus was still in Aquarius then. 2002 2002? 2000, 2002. 2002. 
Well, so you turned 24 in It was before. I was still 23 because okay. it was very much on the, the Jupiter piece. Okay. Yeah. I was just curious. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I think like what happened for me is that I spent most of my 20s, you know, shortly after that, gave up the corporate job, seeing clients, but it, you know, it takes a while to build up, but I was also seeing clients uh, with my massage therapy practice as well. So most of my twenties was, I sort of had two businesses running. When did you go full astrology? hundred percent astrology was sat in return. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So both of you share that in common and you're both born like super close together. Yeah. Like yeah a we're week just apart. a couple of, yeah, week. So you both had weeks. started doing consultations earlier in your twenties, but then it was at the Saturn return when you were able to Make the leap to doing astrology full time. Exclusively. Yeah, yeah, it was about six months prior to Saturn's ingress to Virgo for me. But it was in the year of my life in which Saturn would return. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, for me, I guess the, the massage was sort of there, but. You know, when I was about 26, 27, I had been asked to teach like a two-year astrology program at a natural therapies college in Sydney. So there was a real fullness already in my astrology practice. And the reason that I decided to go exclusive with astrology is I'd got to a point where I was working an insane amount of hours between the two mm. jobs that needed to, or the two businesses, I guess, that needed to focus on one. Sure. Yeah. But both yeah. of so you, it, it was like, obviously it was also a passion by that point in something you're super interested in. And yeah. Yeah. At. Like a vocation or like in the sort of the true sense of the word. Mm -hmm. like yeah. I was, I mean, I was interested in it for what it was mm -hmm. for years before I thought that could be a job. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'd never known anybody who was an astrologer and I wasn't, no. I wasn't, there were nobody's teaching around me. So I was That's the, right, only, you were, yeah. the only person into astrology that I knew for most of that time. Yeah. Wow. Right. Was yeah. when I invited you to come to Project Hindsight for that uh, week long conference they were having, was that the first time you had met other astrologers? Yeah, pretty much. There was like maybe like literally two or three other people at college who were kind of interested in it. Okay. Um, but we didn't have a, a club or anything. And we, we actually ended <laughs> up disagreeing group. about everything. I don't even remember why, but like, you know. There's lots of arguments. Well, just just um, there was there was not a confluence of perspective. Right. And right. so we didn't end up like talking about astrology. Okay. Sure. You know, I didn't have anybody to talk to about, to even talk when about, there was, yeah. you know, one or two other people within 10 miles or whatever. Wow. And yeah, I had, I had so one reading before I turned into a professional astrologer. Wow. Because the teacher that I studied with, she taught a couple of classes at this college and then there were other workshops and courses that she ran out of her home. So there was a beautiful community of, of people that were there. And uh, I mean, I was living in Sydney at the time and there was the New South Wales Astrology Association and things yeah. like that. I was there living was... in a town of 5,000 in Ohio. Wow. Okay. Which, where Dave Chappelle lived. That's right. Like, okay. You were just, saying. It yep. was, he was early 2000s. It was, he was just a super tall dude who was just walking down the street. And he was the guy in the weed movie. In the weed movie. Oh my gosh. Uh, so so here, here's a question. Yeah. Um, what would you do differently if you could do it over again in, for, in terms of that first 10 years and that transition from like starting to learn astrology to um, going to starting to do consultations and then eventually doing it full time. Would you do anything differently? Well, so I would. I would. Um, if I had, okay. So a couple of things. It's a little bit complicated. Yeah, because one of the things that's hard of the context is so much different today, and that's what we were talking about earlier. That you can learn. There's so many more resources, and you can learn astrology quicker potentially nowadays with the like, quality astrology than maybe you could when we came up. Yeah, so if I'd sought out classes, 
um, they would have been like a very hippie variant of modern. Mm -hmm. um, and I would have actually had to unlearn. I think I would have trained bad habits very deeply that I would have had to undo. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad I didn't do that. Mm -hmm. You know, I just had, uh, I had books with the, you know, the enduring fundamentals. This is the Zodiac. This is a cardinal sign. It's ruled by this. This is exalted there. Yes. Um, and so I just, you know, I just, um, you know, I just gnawed on those frameworks for years. And I, I think that was really good training. Mm -hmm. uh, if I, if there were today's resources at my disposal, I'd take Chris's class and then I'd studied with Kelly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, maybe a few other people. Like, I, I, I think that there's an embarrassment of... Um, amazingly high of quality riches. trainings available. So yeah. I, I probably would have chewed it up. Um, you know, one of the things that happened to me during that quasi-professional period was that Chris invited me out to Project Hindsight. And so I got the Hellenistic download via, I don't know, eight hours of lecture a day yeah. and five hours of porch conversation a night. Mm -hmm. And so, and that's what I was working on integrating. You know, when I got back home, I was like, okay, yeah. You know, take a few years to digest this. To digest all that. Um, yeah. And so, again, you know, uh, I don't know that I could have done it differently based on where I was mm. in the world. Um, somebody did point out Kepler to me right after I graduated from college. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm okay with not going to Kepler. I think it might have been good to go to Kepler too. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. It's, that's it's hard to when think, Kepler yeah. was different back then when I went to it yeah. mid 2000s compared to now um but kelly so, so austin you had that exposure when you came out to project hindsight to hellenistic and kelly we were talking and you actually attended a conference and that was your first exposure to like traditional or hellenistic astrology right yeah absolutely because the teacher i studied with in sydney was fairly modern um she then became more interested in traditional astrology as that became okay. more of a thing. And we used to have some conversations. She's now died, passed on. But yeah, I went to a conference. It was, it, well, I think it, I think it was 2004. So I had already started seeing my first few clients. It was a big astrology conference down in Melbourne. And I heard Lee Lehman, John Frawley and Demetra George speak. And wow. that was just absolutely eye opening. It was what I'd been looking for because, you know, by that point, I was already proficient in, you know, the, the essentials, those enduring fundamentals, as you referred to them. But I was, I had those questions that I think so many of us bring to traditional astrology, which is, well, why is that so, and where did that thing actually come from? And that that's part of my personality is I like to to go back and figure out, you know, where it came from. So meeting those three astrologers was amazing. And at that point, I then did go on and study with John Frawley for a little while. And Demetra, I heard her speak on some of those core Hellenistic techniques. So that was a real introduction to that for me as well. Do you know what month that conference was? It would have been January. They're always in January. January of 2004? I think so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's really interesting because it was like later that year that I reluctantly, famously began the Hellenistic course with Demetra Kepler uh. in... I think it was December of two, November, December of two thousand four. Right. So it's funny. Then we kind of got into we connected headed, with her around the same time. Yeah. So that, that was Uranus's sense. ingress into Pisces, which makes sense because there is something that Chris and I share in our chart that's in early Sag. Yeah. Which is what the midheaven. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, that is really interesting from a timing perspective. Yeah. But I don't know what I think. What I would do differently. I mean, I wish that I would have had more money, like going to that conference as a, you know, like a 23 or 24 year old with barely any money to rub together was sure. like 
crouch surfing and couch surfing, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And that is crouch something. Surfing. Crouch surfing. I'm just, I'm Not to be it. confused with crotch surfing. Yeah, like, God, didn't make it as bad as I could have. Uh, uh, there was somebody that asked about that recently. Uh, I think in <laughs> really about that. In, in relation to <laughs> the last episode or one of the last episodes about um, accessibility of some of this stuff and that it can be tough if you're younger and you don't have a lot of money to get like all of the books that you want or yeah. all of the courses that you want or to get to the conferences where it can be expensive to make it there. Yeah. Um, and it is important, I think, to pay attention to that there are sometimes groups or organizations that try to create like scholarships or try to make it easier. And they, I think all of us occasionally would get lucky occasionally and get a leg up by different things like that. I think- uh, Yeah. I mean, I sort of- I had spoken at a conference in January 2008 in Sydney and I had just finished my certification exams, which I didn't do until after I was already practicing professional mm -hmm. uh, in Australia. But I won a scholarship as a result of that that helped me get to UAC in uh, May of 2008. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, I mean, that, that first uh that that first conference at Project Hindsight that yeah. I did like a work trade thing. Yeah. Um, and I did that. Like Laura, who run Laura Nelbandian, who runs Norwak, is very good. Uh, there are lots of opportunities to, you know, be a room monitor and run the recording equipment, yep. get yeah. your and you then know. not have to pay or get a you know reduced rate yeah. or what have you. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I, I was a room monitor and I helped them set up the bookstore at the first Norwalk, Northwest Astrology Conference, as well as I think at my first ESAR conference, I sat in and helped record the talks. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 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 I don't know if there's a single, I don't know if there's a conference where there aren't opportunities like that. Sure. I, yeah. It's pretty, I think it's between very the scholarships. Yeah. And th because they do need volunteers to help them run the conference. Yeah. So, so right. if, if you want to go to a conference, like just find what they're offering because they're almost certainly offering something. And and don't be afraid to email one of the organizers and say that you'd like to come and, you know, they're very understanding of people in different financial positions and mm -hmm. will will they will have an offering for you that is uh, at a different price point or has that work trade option. Yeah. Or there's organizations like AFAN, the Association yeah. for Astrological Networking, that does scholarships or does grant money yeah. and other things like that. Yeah. No, um, Laura does run a scholarship program through NORWAC as well, actually. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, there are... so that's one thing, just being aware and looking for sort of like opportunities that might be available. Yeah. Um, there's also so much more. I see somebody in the chat, I think Caitlin yeah. Topic, is saying there's so many more free resources now that yeah. there's almost – there's so much more you can take advantage of and just looking around and being aware of all of the different things. It's it that's hard though. It's because hard to yeah, discern what there's more. There's more bad. Yeah. And there's more good and there's yeah. more mediocre. There's more of every grade. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the thing is like once you get a handle on it, then you have an eye for quality and it's easy. But you have to it's a little catch twenty two. You have to have get a handle on it before, before. you can get an eye for it. Yeah. Um, so maybe one of the challenges is get try to get as much of a cross section and an overview of the different approaches and different traditions early on, so you just know what the field looks like, and then you can go in and specialize in either the approach that speaks to you or the approach that seems to be more um, more reliable, whatever that means to you. Yeah, and I would yeah. grade um, I would grade astrologers and astrology based on what the you know what it says on the label if they say they can do this and their astrology can do this and they can do that then that's a passing grade yeah if they say that if you do it this way it does this and it really doesn't work then 
you know, whatever. Don't go you don't down need that to like, you know, you don't need to grade a psychological technique on whether, you know, predicts when your career blooms um, and vice versa. Mm. But, you know, grade it, grade it as it's labeled. I mean, yeah. I like that and that's true, but there's also another side of that where sometimes if you're still just learning something and if you're relatively early in your studies, you may not know how to use it yet. And I've seen especially with more complex or complicated techniques like zodiac releasing, people running into that issue of misunderstanding the technique, like attempting to apply it and applying it wrong, basically, and then concluding that it doesn't work. Oh, yeah. I was suggesting looking at the astrologer's works mm -hmm. and they say, oh, my techniques can do this um, mm. and then see, you know, see, see how they demonstrate that. Mm. Um, and of course, um, you know, they should work for you too, but... Um, there, I you know, I think zodiacal releasing is probably the technique that takes the longer to obtain proficiency in because mm. it has a different has a different feeling. It has a a very uniquely technical calculation, and so it's not uh, it, it's some you can pick up. You can mm -hmm. pick up annual perfections pretty quickly. Pretty quickly, but yeah. um, if you don't spend the time getting to know zodiacal releasing on its own terms. Um, you will expect it to do things that it doesn't, and you will not see what it is doing. Mm. Yeah. And I, I, I see people making errors, uh, making exactly that kind of error of expectation. With that technique. And also um, trying to bring technical considerations that are valid for other techniques into zodiacal releasing. Right. Um, and then being mad that they don't work. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So another thing we were talking about in terms of the accelerated rate of learning astrology is still the question that you run into occasionally where sometimes people rush into doing things too quickly or there still could be while we I want to encourage people to certainly not put off starting to do consultations mm -hmm. and reading charts for people because that's an important part of the learning process too long so that it like hurts your growth as an astrologer there can be um a potential danger also of doing it prematurely, I think we were talking about earlier. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. there's a lot there. One thing I will say is that there is a meaningful difference between knowledge and skill. Yeah. Um, you can know how to do a technique and you can have, you can, uh, have memorized everything written about it, um, but that knowledge needs to become skill. Yes. And that's through practice and Absolutely. experience um, with clients, with um, with your own chart, with the chart of dead people, living yes. people, everybody. Yes. Like the um, knowledge is the, in many, in astrology at least, is one of the necessary requirements for skill, but it, knowledge um, by itself is not skill. Yes. It needs to become skill. Yeah, that's a beautiful point. I, I do think... I know there's a lot of good quality information out there. It's very easy to fast track learning the facts or learning the techniques, but I do think there's still a level of, of some time required to have that um, knowledge become a skill internally, but also to have you grapple with it and, and mull it over and kind of take the knowledge into into your belly or into your body so that it's not just the memorized brain knowledge of a technique. Mm -hmm. It's something that you have pulled into the belly of your being. And I, so, I mean, the recommendation I usually give to students of, of whatever age is that um, pick a teacher whose work and style you resonate with mm -hmm. and commit to studying with them for a minimum of two years. Um, so sort of take everything that they have to offer 
go through all the motions, you know, learn the basics, learn some of the timing techniques that they offer or learn some of the, if they teach relationship astrology, whatever, some of those extras, you know, you might need longer than two years, but I I think there's something almost like saying, I'm going to give myself an apprenticeship opportunity in this. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, with the guidance of your teacher, you may then be ready to start seeing clients in a, you know, an apprenticeship style way, perhaps for a reduced rate. Um, But if you have studied with a particular teacher for a period of time, you will have learned a method that you can take forward with you. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be loyal to that for the rest of your practice. In fact, I encourage you not to be. I think it is good to be diverse and to study with different teachers. But when you're getting started or you want to get anchored, it is good to have some consistency so that you don't get overwhelmed and trying to do too many things. I think there are like at least two or three amazing points in that. Um, one, I like two years. I don't know why. Just it really, well, I, yeah. So I just got done you, with a yes. two-year Vedic program, and I'm just getting done with my first teaching my first two-year program. Right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so I, I I hear you on two years, and I feel like um, uh, pretty much everybody in year two is like ready to be unleashed. Yeah. Some of some of them are already professionals, but um, like it it does seem like a very ripe point. Yeah. And I don't. I certainly I have a million things to learn about Jyotish, but I I feel like pretty deeply competent. Yeah. Like I know what you I know, offer what I don't know. Information. Like you know, yeah. um, I can go through it. I've got experience with all the techniques. Um, oh, there was something else that you said that I wanted to okay. respond to. I'll probably come back to it. Okay. I mean, one of the things about t- studying either with a teacher for an extended period of time or at least just studying everything that they have available is being able to be re- reconnected with like a, a, a wisdom or a mastery tradition yeah. of a sort of lineage. Yeah. Um, but there's things that come with that that are not just – because what you get from books, if you just take a little bit from books, you read a book – or you read a bunch of different books, is you get a sort of surface level knowledge. But when you study somebody's entire system, is you get their approach, which includes a lot of the learned wisdom that they gained from mm-hmm. however many years of practice they've been doing it. Yeah. That they'll sort of drop in little bits and pieces throughout their works in different places and might not be summarized all in like just their book. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's some part of that that, it, that can be useful. Oh, yeah. Um, well, if you look at, Generally speaking, um, whenever we're looking at uh, extremely high levels of skill, um, when you have a generational continuity of uh, skill, that's where you get the best whatever it is. The best cheese, uh, you know, it's that that place in Italy that's been making that cheese for 400 years. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yeah. um, even if in martial arts, like even uh, in the, you know, this sort of rough and tumble world of mixed martial arts, which is very innovative. Like a lot of the people who end up being champions, it's like, oh yeah, my dad was a boxer and his dad was a boxer. And yeah. you know, I brought that into this. Um, one, I remember what I was going to respond to, uh, Kelly, yeah. about um, valuing uh, a diversity of training and approach while at the same time recognizing that you need to focus on one approach at a time in order to learn and obtain skill. Um, you know, I've thought a lot, a lot about that with, um, you know, going heavy into Vedic astrology. Mm. If I did that, well, at the same time as I was trying to go heavy into Hellenistic, mm-hmm. I would have learned neither. Correct. You um, would have been like, confused and jumbled and you would have been trying to put your apples together with your oranges. Yeah, and I literally had mess. 12 years yeah. to like let the Hellenistic um, sink, sink in, in and, you know, and yeah. do... 
I don't know, a thousand consultations yes. um, using those methods. And so like that, the, um, that jello has set. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, now I'm going to do this other thing. Yeah. But again, like, um, you know, and it's not that. It, it's not that this is better than that or whatever, but like one thing at a time. Yes. I, I do think, cause I sit, that's one thing I see with students all the time is this idea of trying to do too much at once mm -hmm. and it becomes overwhelming and it becomes distracting and scattering. And it's not to say that you can't learn all the things that you want to learn, but you will have to put them in a sequence and learn one thing yeah. at a time. Yeah. And yeah. One, with one teacher at a time would There's, be the ideal. Would be the ideal. And it's not that I want to slow people down. It's just that, you know, as you made such an eloquent point, Austin, reading something doesn't mean that you know it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes even taking a class on a topic once doesn't mean that you know it either. Learning is an active process. And one thing that I just was thinking about with my students this week is that, you know, you come to a class, you're listening to information. There might be some reading material provided. So you read that material. Both of those things are about input. Learning requires some sort of active output as well, whether that is a written homework exercise or a conversation about the topic. So you, you have to kind of really be in with the material. Material, if you, you like, have to, to dialogue it. with it. You have to. You do have to dialogue with it. You have to try and speak from it, or be heard from it, or have those practice sessions with clients, or what have you. And and so I think all of these things are the type of guidance that if you're in a class with a teacher, you get some support around. Yeah, definitely. And and also sometimes having a in person connection. I know that you went to. Um, like that intensive of Demetra's just recently. Yeah, right? yeah, that was amazing. And I got a lot out of that. There was a lot of stuff that I did know about planetary condition, but mm -hmm. there were still nuances mm -hmm. that I took in and things that I knew, but are now even deeper embedded within me. And well, yeah. And I think that sets a really good example because you don't need to study with someone else to be a successful professional astrologer. You don't. Um, yeah. And that like you can still learn from other people, even if you know you're big and fancy and on the astrology podcast every month. <laughs> I don't know um, about big and like, fancy, but it, you know, yeah. it doesn't mean that there's nothing to learn from Demetra just because you're good. You know, that's like, I mean, yeah. I, I and one thing I realized, you know, as I reflected on, you know, this year that it has been is that I haven't had an opportunity for professional development the last few years and I've really missed it. Mm -hmm. And in Every other industry, it's compulsory to maintain your registration and licensing that you do a certain amount of professional development every year. Uh, sure. And so I was like, yeah. And Demetra is also, you know, kind of in um, a period in her career where there are limits to how much longer she'll be teaching and things like that, which, which she has expressly stated publicly already. So that put a bit of fire up me and yeah. Sure. And it also talks speaks to a little bit like the value of meeting up with people in person, which is why we're always hyping conferences, but also yeah. local astrology groups and also just sometimes making friends with other astrologers, often initially online, but then eventually meeting up in person. And and we've been having a good time this week and have had lots of conversations mm -hmm. that we might not have if we were just like distance all the oh, time. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. I was talking to, I don't know, somebody on my WhatsApp chat a friend or my husband, I'm not sure, Somebody, someone I was speaking to in the last 24 hours. And I'm like, I'm so enjoying being here as much for the podcasting that we're doing. But I said, but I'm also really enjoying the dinners afterwards, you know, yeah, where right. we go I'm, and I'm we chat. I'm looking and, forward to dinner. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want to go back Peggy's. to the steak place maybe tomorrow. Tomorrow. Maybe tonight. I don't know. Okay. I really like the We had some really place. good Italian last night. Well, we had to cut it off because that's one of the problems is this is like a work trip, but then we're staying up late like yes, chatting all we night. We have to be and, like, oh, we, still we haven't stayed sleep. up very late. Yeah. Well, we <laughs> haven't done our episode of the Drunk Astrology podcast yet. Oh, my uh, Lord. Which, I was hoping you'd forget about that. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. The we'll weekend happens. is still. Tomorrow is actually the big day. Tomorrow we're Tomorrow's the be big day. Yeah, we're doing year ahead. The forecast for the entire year ahead for 2020. Maybe we could do a drunk Q&A. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, so Monday, Monday right now is our planned Q&A. Uh, I mean, and- I could have one drink and do that, maybe. <laughs> yeah, that's, but that's not fun. <laughs> I think That's like, oh, Kelly's slightly relaxed. Like that's this not that's that's not what I had drinks with you. That's like, not recently. what the people want, Kelly. And you're like, this is more fun. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see what happens on Monday. They want you uh, to slur your words, but oh, let no, me tell no, you no. what I, I really could never think. Do that. I could never about do that. fucking Aquariuses. <laughs> but sometimes <laughs> even Aquarius rising. Uh, aside from those experiences, there's also <laughs> learning. Come tech- to conferences, you will have those experiences. That's right. true. That's what happens. Yes, but you're trying to say Please go person. on. Trying, uh, yeah. So there can, it can sometimes modify your technical approach to meet other astrologers. And yes. this is I think this has always been true in history. You put two astrologers in a room together at any point in history, uh, no matter what time period or cultures they come from, they're going to start talking to each other and they're going to they're gonna start comparing techniques. Absolutely. And that's going to rub off on each other in some ways that are unexpected but often interesting and that's pretty much the history of astrology and the transmission of astrology is just what happens when you put two astrologers from either different approaches or the same approach together in a room and what comes out of that there's always some something that comes out of that there's an alchemical the, the light bulbs might not get changed yeah but the, there's there's <laughs> both techniques. sharing and a refinement of differentiation right yeah. you're like oh okay so when you do exactly the same technique you emphasize this, this. Little, you privilege this over that over whereas that. i tend to treat this as more important right makes yeah. me think of um like in martial arts, like there are certain basic techniques that are just like that's what the human that's how the human body can hit. Yeah. Like uh, and as I've spent more and more time with, let's say, a a roundhouse. Um right. I could show you 30 different variations. Okay. Right. Where it's like, okay, the weight is slightly over here. There's a little bit more of a swing through. This is a, a kick and a step. This yeah. and this one it replaces. This is more of a whip. This is more of a bat. But it from the outside, it looks like the same technique. Yeah. Well, and even more. Like specifically, we went through that. We encountered some of this yesterday when we did our recorded here, our two part series on the houses. Yes. And some instances where we had very similar takes on the houses, and other instances where sometimes we emphasize things a little bit differently. I think you mentioned this last night over dinner, like afterwards, that you, there were certain things of how we were talking about certain houses that you found, found interesting in some way. The oh, yeah. yeah. Well, it was, it was yeah. really the, the 612. Interactions are really interesting because they so naturally they naturally just share things that are a bummer, yeah. um, and then like <laughs> sort, summary. <laughs> sorting the different things that are a bummer. Yes, the specific um, things that you know, like what what is really shared, and then what is probably more over here. Yeah, I actually had a thought uh, about that this morning mm-hmm. on. Um, so we're talking about enemies, right? Yes. We're talking about whether enemy. You and I had a disagreement had about a disagreement. whether to assign enemies to the twelfth house, which I said, yes, enemies twelfth house, and you said, no, uh, no that twelfth house. I didn't say self, no. Self I said, I said you could find enemies there, but primary, I would go sixth. And anyway, said so, a little bit more strongly than that. You guys, no, I but did. Everyone will have to go and check anyway, out that I episode. Anyway, I had a, I had a thought about that. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, the thought about it was, um, so I think that, um, one, I think you can find enemies is a big, um, is a big word, right? Any conscious actor that is, uh, contrary to you or, you know, wants something bad for you qualify or wants something in competition with you qualifies as an enemy. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, the logic behind the 12th, right. Is it's bad spirit. Those who wish you ill, right. Yes. Um, whereas I think that um, the logic behind, because you can find authors on uh, uh, traditional texts on 12th and 6th. Um, with 6th, it's those who are working a bad fortune, those who are physically working against you. So it's the physical you. versus the, the mental. But I think okay. you can find- um, This is like a follow-up to yesterday. Yeah, yeah. that was yeah. my yeah. thought. Well, although it's funny is that episode, or no, it won't. That episode will come out after because epi yes. houses 1 through 6 will be released before this, this one. Got to yeah. wait gotta wait until early next month we'll release yeah. houses Part seven two. through 12 and you'll yeah. hear the the 12th house discussion yes but yeah that was my thought i was like oh okay so if we sort it into the traditional titles of bad spirit and bad Spiritual. fortune yeah we can have those which are working against you in a more physically demonstrable way um and those who are um you know who are maybe saying things or intending you badly yeah um but without some sixth house connection aren't going to be able to damage your your money or body okay yeah i could i could sort I of like get on board with that in that but sometimes you know just words can be just as damaging in some instances as you know, like walking yeah, up well, and punching if, somebody in the face. Yeah, like, yeah, I agree yeah. about words. Sure. But you can have like haters, but they don't do anything. Oh yeah, that was Patrick's signification. Was that for yeah, the twelve haters. haters? It was haters. Okay, I'm sure it was hate. Yeah, 12, but like yeah. the the a hater and an enemy that you have to contend with. Yeah. Um. There, there's a meaningful differentiation. Yeah. Yeah. All right. But, and, so, and anyway, were yeah, there yeah. any post like house things that we could touch on or should touch on? Um. I realized we'll only have released half of that episode by now, but did you guys have any thoughts after we closed that down yesterday? Just that one. Okay. I, didn't, I know. I'm really excited for people to hear those episodes and um, see what they think of them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. Oh, I guess I did think that um, – no, never mind. I was just thinking about think our discussion of large animals being dangerous. Oh, the large animal piece, yeah, with the 12th house. Okay. Okay. Do anyway. Mean? Okay. They hate you. They hate you. Is that why they're dangerous? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Final recommendation. <laughs> final recommendations, though. Astrologers practicing astrologer in their twenties. Yes or no? I I would say it's not about your age. It's about how much um, exposure and experience with the material you've had. And I usually throw that two year on, but it, I mean it's not a hard and fast rule. So uh -huh. I'm less concerned with whether you're 21 or. 45, mm -hmm. but more concerned that you've had some substantial structured training and you've got, you know, that to, to go forward with. So, yeah. I think it's important yeah. not to conflate age and experience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Age and experience do have a natural relationship, but they're not identical. Yeah. Got yeah. It. So I think, I mean, and, and we both, I mean, I, I started seeing clients, you know, at 23 and I would not prevent someone else who had had training to do that either. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Okay. All right, guys. I think that's it for this episode of the Astrology Podcast and for this forecast for December. Thanks for so joining me to today. This is a lot of person. fun. Uh, it's a little different so than being in like little Zoom boxes most of the time. You guys yeah. are actually flying out here and being in person. So I like yeah. this a lot. 
Thank you. I don't think we have the budget to do it every month, but I'm glad we did it this month. Yeah, well, people have to let us know what they thought of it and if they enjoyed it. That's and true. And if we should do it again maybe next year for the next year ahead forecast or something. Yeah, let us know because just because I enjoyed it doesn't mean anyone else will. Right. Yeah, could just be us. Yeah, I liked it. I think people will probably like it. Yeah. Um, if you want to see this next year, send Chris money so he can buy more comfortable chairs for yeah. Kelly and I. <laughs> the only thing I messed up was, uh, well, and it, they're okay chairs if you sit in them for like an hour or two, but if you're sitting here for like three days straight for six hour podcast, then it gets a little much. It's a little, I mean, we're, 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 we're fate. We will do stretching and we're right. good, but yes, <laughs> sign up to be Chris's Patreon. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, people should that sign up to the Patreon anyway, because that's part of how I want to start flying more people out here to yes. do interviews in person here in the studio for exactly that reason, to partially to torture them by sitting them in the chairs, but also <laughs> to look them in the eye. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, yeah. So you can find out more information about that at theastrologypodcast.com slash subscribe. Lisa just texted me and reminded me that we forgot to mention the that we're about to put it out. We did this last year, but we're going to do it again this year and put out a year ahead electional report. Because people, we do the monthly podcast, but people are always asking us for elections much further down the road, yes. the year ahead. So we're about to release a report, which I'll link to probably in the description page for this episode on the podcast website, that'll give the most one single electional chart for each of the 12 months of 2020. And it'll be the best chart we can find for that month um, so that people, if you need to plan a little bit more long term, can have have something. That's really helpful. Yeah. You guys did that last year. That would have been a great resource for yeah, people. Yeah, it was super um, uh, popular last year and people really seemed to love it. So we're going to do it again this year. We're going to get it out in the next couple of weeks. Fantastic. Very nice. Cool. All right, guys. Um, well, that's it for this episode of the Astrology Podcast. Thanks to all of our uh, patrons who joined us in the live chat today and who attended the live recording of this episode through the webinar. We appreciate it. Uh, thanks for all we of do. your comments and everything. We're going to do it again tomorrow for the year ahead forecast. Yes. Uh, yeah. So that's it for this episode of the Astrology Podcast. So thanks for watching or listening, and we will see you again next time. Next time. Bye, everyone. Thanks to the patrons and sponsors who helped to support the production of this episode of the podcast through a page on patreon.com, including patrons Christine Stone and Nate Craddock as well as the Astro Gold Astrology app available at astrogold.io, the Portland School of Astrology at portlandastrology.org, the Honeycomb Collective Personal Astrological Almanacs at honeycomb.co, and also the International Society for Astrological Research, which is hosting an astrology conference in Denver, Colorado, September 10th through the 14th, 2020, and you can find out more information about that at esar2020.org and the Northwest Astrological Conference, which is happening in Seattle May 21st through 25th, 2020, and you can find out more information about that at norwac.net. For more information about how to sign up to become a patron of the podcast, go to patreon.com slash astrologypodcast.